My name's Rad, and I want to tell you about the Transformers. My curiosity is aroused. Hey folks, and welcome back to Transformers Tuesdays, the fan hole spinoff show where we talk Transformers all the time and every time. I'm Mike. I'm going to be your host tonight. And uh, joining me tonight on this extreme gritty 90s 12 issue maxi series. Well, we're only going to it's actually it's only going to be like two episodes, I guess. Like we're going to talk about uh, half the series in this one and the other half of the series in another episode. But who who is joining me tonight? I'm stronger, faster, with more Beetlejuice tongue coming out of my mouth. This is Derek, Derek WC. Hey, this is Justin. Hey, guys, this is Tony. And why did you resurrect Starscream? Soundwave, he has a new toy. (laughs) Because I'm an idiot. You happy? (laughs) Yeah, so, uh. As I may have indicated, or if you didn't like look at the title of this episode, uh, we're going to talk about uh, Transformers Generation 2, the Marvel comic. Uh, and this is another like sort of multi-episode endeavor because uh, it's a 12-issue series. Uh, and I wanted to like give it like, you know, it's due diligence because it's personally one of my favorite like Transformers like comic series. And I, I think it catches a lot of flack that it doesn't deserve and like... Uh, we're going to prove stupid Linkara wrong as we talk about this. Just as a general, like, I want to keep this a little, like, more focused. Like, like we, we've talked about Generation 2 in general, like, on this podcast before. But, like, you know, mostly the toys and, like, making fun of, like, the Cybernet Space Cube and whatever. I want to keep this, like, mostly focused to just this comic, like, specifically. So... I mean, I just just to go around quickly and give a little history of like your history with this comic. I picked up number one, like right off the shelf in a comic store. Like I didn't know it was coming out. I saw it and I was like a new Transformers comic. Like, no way. And, you know, Optimus Prime was staring at me and telling me I was not. He was not my father's Optimus Prime. And like, I, you know, I got the gatefold cover that opened up and had a little like fight scene inside. And I was completely blown away by like, you know, the gritty 90s extreme, like, you know, violence and maturity. And like, you know, I I fell in love with it. And I, you know, over the course of the next year, I pretty much got almost every there were a couple issues I missed and I had to get later. But I, I pretty much followed the entire I stayed on to the entire uh, comic to the end of it and then I thought you know Transformers was dead again at the end of it like much like you know G2 was you know ending so uh, I, I don't know like Derek like what what is your history with this comic I mean I I it was the 90s like I, I remember the, the the chromium fold out cover and everything I this the, my distinct memory of picking this up was like th- I think I kind of knew about all this stuff because th- by then it was like you know I was looking through previews regularly and you know kind kind of had a vague idea of what 
you know, what was coming out and everything like that. But th- this was when I was going to James Logan and I, we could basically like, it, it probably was, I don't know, I want to say it was probably before I had a car, but it was like right on the cusp of, you know, you know, maybe in a year or two after this, I'd have like a, you know, a, a driver's permit and, and have a license and all that other stuff. But like what I basically remember was there was a comic store that was like right across the street from James Logan High School. And we would just, you know, wh- wh- whenever we would get out of school, a lot of the times, you know, pre me having my own car, I'd just be like, just pick me up at the comic store. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, don't you don't have to pick me up from you know, the school itself, like, like, uh, we're going to walk over, we're going to get some comics and whatever, and then just pick me up then or whatever. And that's, that's kind of basically my memory of that. Like, I mean, I don't know, it was weird. It was, it was, it was not a, you know, it, it was a fun store, I guess. I mean, but it was also like super convenient, right? Because you just, all you had to do was just, you know, walk across the street and everything like that and, and pick up whatever, whatever you were doing, you know, whatever you were into at the time and stuff like that. I was just curious to see like what other books sort of came out when this, this issue came out or whatever. And like, if I was like avidly reading, you know, certain things or whatever, I mean, you know, all the kind of typical nineties tropes, like the, you know, Wolverine with the holographic cover, like right after he got his, his adamantium bones ripped out. Like, I mean, that was on the shelves at the same time. You know, I was reading like Valor and, you know, there was like, you know, the Superman had his, uh, you know, long hair after coming back from the dead and all that other kind of stuff. Uh, I think like Thor, uh, what was it? Like the, the, you know, warrior madness, like whatever that, you know, 17, 18 chapter story arc was like, it looks like there was a bunch of stuff, you know, going on at the time, you know, that you know the 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 rye trade paperback that had been collected that had the little rye companion that had the first appearance of bloodshot like like all that kind of stuff was was going on at the time like all this kind of like super 90s stuff so like but i mean i definitely remember like for me this is not a you know spinner rack book i was hardcore going to comic specialty shops like the the you know, obviously that that this is not your father's Autobot, you know, that 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 kind of specialized cover, you know, that stood out, I, I guess, among the many other specialized covers that were on the stands and being a fan of Transformers like this was something that I, you know, tried to buy to the bitter end and, you know, was kind of excited that they, you know, they had come back because I already sort of had my mini revival with Transformers when it came to Andrew Wildman and even getting some of the toys. So I think. I don't know that I was like super keen on, you know, I know you want to keep this focused, but I don't know that I was super keen on the actual, you know, Space Cube episodes or the Generation 2 toy line, but I was keen on this comic book. And I think, I think specifically, like, uh, it seems like the intent was to kind of, in some ways, isolate it and make it its own thing, or at least have have unique storytelling aspects that maybe you you didn't see before in in Transformers, whether it was the cartoons or the comics or what have you. Cool. Uh, Justin, what about you? I remember some kid at school telling me that like Megatron was in G.I. Joe now and he had a new body. So that got my interest. And then later he brought those comics to school and I read them. And then I feel like the next thing I know, I'm at uh, the Dalton books or something and I see you know 
Transformers Generation Two on the on the rack, or I don't know. I I don't know if it was Dalton's. It might have just been. It's hard for me to remember exactly. It's been so long ago, but I feel like I was somewhere and saw it like on a stand or a rack or something, and was like, "Ooh, okay." And I you know flipped through it and bought it. I think it took me a while to like collect all 12 issues because like my memory is I had like the first four issues and the last three maybe but it wasn't until like I think my final year of high school that I had all 12 issues because there was this uh there's this guy at an indoor flea market and he had this really he had like a very small like area but it was like filled with boxes I mean it was like the size of a closet like his little stand or whatever but it was just completely filled with long boxes and it, it was like lots of like nice silver age stuff and then it was like a nice selection of like recent ish stuff and i remember buying like uh issues of the first transformers volume that i needed like a lot of those later issues like when Furman took over like i remember i bought a lot of those from that guy and i filled in my g2 collection and then i feel like i bought like other random comics based on like 80s cartoons or toys like maybe some thundercats or something like i i don't know it's hard to remember but i, I just remember like i was like man this guy's great he's got like you know i'm i'm i'm, I'm getting like early fantastic four issues from him that's like helping me you know to complete my run so that's one thing off my list and then it's also you know he's also helping me with like stuff that i you know i have been looking for for a long time just for my own interest you know because uh you know like i was missing like you know g2 issue five or six or whatever but um it's been a long long time since i read this like i it's it's been on my mind off and on I feel like ever since we started doing this podcast, I was like, yeah, I want to sit down and read G2 again. It's been a long time, and like, we finally got there, so yay. And Tony, what about you? Between uh, kicking mad kickflips on my uh, skateboard and drinking my Go-Gurt and wearing my Skechers, <laughs> uh, <laughs> probably the most PG-13 story out of everybody. Um, at the time, I was dating this girl in high school, and um she had like a little brother and basically between like rounds of making out and trying to round you know second base if we were at her house you know her parents would invariably like you know check in and be like what are y'all doing you know like nothing just grabbing your daughter's boobs she her brother had an issue of d2 uh number one so when she had to go talk to her parents and like, you know, spend quality time with them for a few minutes, like I found this comic and I was like, hey, Transformers. I like Transformers. So I would read it. And I really had not really encountered the G2 stink or backlash that had kind of came with the toys. So I kind of had an open mind to it. And I read it and like the art kind of threw me, which I'm sure we'll go into at first because it is a very different style but i did like the story i i thought it was like you know in my head i was like you know it is the 90s and like i am a teenager i was like oh this is pretty badass you know it, it is indeed not my father's transformers and i remember like i would by happenstance kind of come across various issues 
because I was still collecting G.I. Joe at the time. I had quit collecting Transformers because Transformers had ended. But uh, I still I, I started like getting random issues of G2 and I finally read the whole thing like probably before the 90s were over. And um, I don't know if I would say it's one of my favorite stories, but it's definitely high up there. It, it, it definitely ranks as like my first foray into what if Transformers were more mature, which I definitely like. Like that's I think that's one of the reasons like I still stuck with the toy line was because of D two the comic. It kept my interest. I was like, oh, there could be more to Transformers than just like you know, you know, am I dribbling well, Spike or whatever. The the comic does hold a special place in my heart, and it, and of course you know introduced me to like Simon Furman on a grander stage because he was given a lot more freedom with what he was writing in the in this series. So it started off as like, you know, going to like try to score with my girlfriend and end up like being introduced to a comic of relative like unknownness to me. I was like unaware that they had ever started making this. And uh it was, you know, a really cool like happenstance. You know, it was, it was just like Transformers is always going to come back into my life at some point, somehow, apparently. So, yeah, that's that's kind of how I encountered the uh, the comic. Cool. So uh, I'm, I'm just going to read a little background. I just swiped from the wiki and then we'll just go like issue by issue for the first like six issues. And then we'll, you know, like I said, this is going to be a two show thing. So we'll do issues seven through 12 in the other show. But uh, uh, let me just read this brief thing the wiki has that gives some essential like backup and essential information. Uh, when Hasbro brought back the Transformers toy line in 1993, they turned to Marvel Comics to once again produce a comic tie-in. This time, Marvel chose to build interest in the book by introducing the new storyline as part of its existing G.I. Joe comic. Over the course of five issues, Megatron, last seen crashing into Earth in issue 78 of the original U.S. series, returned and was upgraded into his G2 form, a tank, by Cobra. Several Autobots were sent to deal with the returned Decepticon leader, which led into the ongoing Transformers Generation 2 comic series. Elsewhere, an entirely separate race of Transformers descended from the Decepticons, who prefer to think of themselves as Cybertronians, are discovered in the far reaches of known space. The Autobots find themselves attempting to deal with this new threat, while also struggling to protect the Earth from the danger posed by the original Decepticons. Amid these threats, Optimus Prime has troubling premonitions that hint at, a, at the coming of yet another menace. Autobots and Decepticons must unite against the Cybertronians and their deadly offshoot, the Swarm. And uh, this series, at least these first six issues, and largely the entire series, uh, it's all written, obviously, by Simon Furman, uh, art by uh, Derek Yaniger, Manny Galen, and uh, an assist uh, by Andrew Wildman on issue number two. And uh, Jeff Sr. does some, uh, also assists later on in a backup story in number two. So, you know, Andy Wildman and Jeff Sr. obviously had a, a lot of experience with Transformers. And uh, Derek Yaniger was, like, chosen to, like, you know, create the visual style of this series although he very quickly was unable to like you know maintain deadlines so they brought in manny galen who was known to be a really fast penciler and uh to uh like pick up his slack so and you know I, i've read interviews with manny galen where he says like look i i tried to like you know copy Derek yanniger's style like i don't think i succeeded too well but i did the best i could with the time i had 
And I mean, I think it kind of shows like I, I think people are really hard on Manny Galen, but I think like he does have some good stuff like so. But, uh, you know, we'll get I think we'll get into that. But uh, I've, I've written like some very brief, like sort of log line synopsis for each issue. And um, most issues, except for the first one, most issues have like kind of two stories, like a main story and then like a, a like sub story like that is under the banner of like Tales from Earth. Like which, take you know, is obviously saying what's happening on Earth at the time while most of the action is taking place like in, in space. But uh, like I'll, I'll, when I, you know, introduce each issue, I'm just going to read like the main like issue title. And I think, uh, you know, to make this fun for myself, I always notice, you know, when um when I'm writing these like mini synopses, like log line synopses, I, I, I kind of write them in, in my head. I hear like Victor Caroli, like, you know, like saying them. So I'll do my Victor Caroli impression when I read my little like log line synopsis. So um, issue number one, war without end. Years after Unicron's defeat and the exile of Bludgeon's Decepticons, the Autobots encounter a new breed of Decepticons colonizing the universe. Optimus Prime and Grimlock are brought before the leader of these marauders, the Amoral Geaxis, and learn the full scope of the new threat they now face. Meanwhile, those on Earth must contend with the return of Megatron. So that's an extremely, you know, brief synopsis of what happens in issue one. There's a lot of finer details to go by. But, uh, yeah, like, I mean, I, like I said, I, I saw this issue. Like, I picked it off fresh off the shelf. I was, like, kind of blown away by how, you know, like I said, like, you know, I was I was even younger than you guys. So I was kind of blown away by how, like, gritty and mature and serious it was. And, you know, it does it does kind of suffer from like, you know, the excesses of the 90s. I mean, like attitude, big guns, like, you know, ammo belts, like, like really, you know, gritted teeth, uh, just badass stuff for the sake of being badass. But I think, you know, you know, Simon Furman is like an adaptable writer and he's a skilled writer. And I think he still has like, you know, there's 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 something behind all that, like 90s, like window dressing and stuff. And like, you know, obviously, like. Like, this is the introduction of G-Axis and his, like, second-generation Decepticons, or, like, as as they'll eventually, like, kind of phase into calling them, like, the Cybertronian Empire or whatever. And, like, I think, you know, G-Axis is obviously a very memorable character, probably the most memorable character that came out of, like, this era. And, uh, you know, he just recently got a new toy based on, like, Derek Yaniger's art and... You know, I, I, there's a lot of influence that comes from this issue. But, uh, I, like, I don't know. Does anyone have any, like, you know, opening thoughts or, like, you know, just on the events of this issue? I remember when I was reading this, I was taken aback by how scary everyone looked. Um, Like, that splash page of Grimlock, I was like, holy cow, he looks totally scary. Like, even Sludge. Like, if you look at that panel where, like, Sludge is using his tail to, like, bat away the like little tank tread thingy it's like his head is so like angular and he's got like the he's got like the sharp mean looking teeth and he's got that little like weird tongue sticking out it's like i I mean you guys know me like you know big dinobots fan i was just like man everyone is so scary looking like even sludge and like you know sludge is the you know fun dumb one i'm just like holy cow this is so 
it was a big change for me because I I did like Jeff Senior's art. So going from like volume one Jeff Senior to this, it, it felt like a big shift to me because I uh, reread the last couple issues of the first volume like over and over and over, like as you did back in the day. As was the style at the time, you know, we didn't have instant access to like every comic ever published and digitized format so like whatever you had or whatever your friends had you traded back and forth and you know as i've said before you read them till they fell apart so this art style was uh probably the biggest thing for me i mean i guess at the time i you know i was you know in the shit so like all the like big guns and the attitude like didn't really phase me that much but going back to it now i'm just like holy cows this is so 90s extreme wars like I, you know, it, it gets better, but like this first issue is like so totally in your face. I, I think like that is definitely something that takes you out of it uh, as far as your preconceptions about the uh, Transformers in general is like that first like little scene of uh, the Autobots, you know, the Firestormers uh, taking that planet. It's like so like kind of out of character. But not, not totally. Like Sideswipe has always been kind of a, a warrior. So him fighting is not that big of a deal. And like you know, the Dinobots are tough. But like Justin said, they're not usually this vicious. You know, they're not like you know, kill them all. You know, let them sort them out later. And one of the things that I, I you know definitely noticed, like just in that first you know scene, quote unquote. Is like not just the fact that like the Dinobots are kind of separate, like they usually were in the cartoon, you know, it's like they're the big heavies of the the Autobot team. But even stuff like Blades and and Hound having like a little back and forth, you know, like Blades is all about the 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 bloodthirst, you know, the killing and all that. And like Hound is like, you know, more like a uh a, a throwback Autobot where it's like, you know, maybe we should, you know, <laughs> try to cut back a little bit on the massacre. And, and, you know, Blades is basically like, you know, quit being a pussy, like shoot somebody. And it really does like set like more of a war tone instead of like, you know, heroic Autobots fight the Decepticons. It's like grim and gritty soldiers, you know, basically like the, the, the series of events is bad guys come. The, the aliens cannot stand against them because they're little skinny, peaceful, like, you know, weaklings. But the Autobots are just. 10 times more powerful than these like, you know, dunderheads. So they're just killing them. Like it's nothing. And, you know, it's, it's definitely more like a war story where it's like the overwhelming force cleansing quote unquote, uh, enemy territory. They just happen to run across like a much weaker, you know, opposition. One of the things that was a big blind spot for me up until recently was uh, martial law and then some of my buddies on the rolled spine podcast were covering some issues of that and then i sort of got the jones to do a big read through of all of that and i i kind of feel like now like just re-examining this i was like Derek yanniger's art and the style that he brought to transformers in generation two it just makes me feel like he's the kevin o'neill of transformer artists like you know i can see people that would really fall in love with kevin o'neill stuff but then i i can easily see you know people that were used to kind of their 
you know, meat and potatoes or their milk and cookies style of comic book art. And, you know, maybe they'd kind of look at something like, I don't know, From Hell or League of Extraordinary Gentlemen or Martial Law or whatever it is. Right. But, you know, and kind of be be either, you know, like Justin's saying, maybe maybe your reaction is you're scared or maybe your reaction is it's extreme wars or over the top or whatever. And like. I, I kind of see that, you know, like I kind of see like like all the Transformers come across like martial law, like where they, they are the epitome of the, the you know, it, it, this was a concerted effort to make Autobots anti-heroes in the form of them being, you know, active wartime participants, you know, like and 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 trying to definitely reflect that in the comic and i not not that it was never reflected in the the g1 marvel comic but i i I think this was just a lot more i guess as you guys were saying like kind of like in your face with it and 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 i think purposely so because you're uh, it seems like he's Furman's trying to establish this thing of of the you know you, you you've created this second generation this cybertronian empire you know, of characters and supposedly they're, you know, far beyond the infighting, you know, they're, they're far beyond that. They, they went out to colonize and it, it you know, also revisiting this, like it, it it's kind of like some of the plot points that, that will creep up in this and maybe the, the second podcast we do. So I don't want to like spoil them all, but like at, at the very least that aspect of colonization, you know, like that's something that I think, would would be a a ripe point of you know future incarnations of transformers like this aspect of they're colonizing different planets and transformers are just basically you know their nature is to expand like it's not it was never going to be limited to just cybertron like it was always going to go out to other planets like earth and nebulos and whatever it was and you know, I, I think in the Marvel comics, it was more like it was this tragic thing that their war was expanding and, you know, the Autobots didn't want that to happen. And the Decepticons were the ones that sort of wanted to conquest and the Autobots were the only forces keeping them in check. But I think in this, this sort of examines the idea that, like, once they got past that infighting and they just did what they were designed to do, which is to go out and conquest, you know, like then 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 you get to that point of. Like, oh, are the I, I think that scene with blades is supposed to purposely make you think about, you know, oh, are these your father's Autobots? Like, are they are they all going to be friendly like Bumblebee is friendly with Spike? Like the, the little skinny, you know, blue aliens like there's not going to be a blue alien kid that makes friends with that version of blades. You know, they're not going to go on adventures together or anything. Right. They're all, you know, it, it, it's that thing, that antihero thing. You know, people are just a you know, just as afraid of, I don't know, Wolverine or Batman or whatever, as they are of the person that was just trying to mug them to death. And they probably shouldn't be, but they are just the same, right? Because they're, they're, you know, this, at least in the case of these aliens, they're like analogies for, for human beings or, or whatever, you know? I mean, I, and then I guess for me, like speaking for myself, you know, I mean, I, I, for me, I, I thought it was nice that, you know, Hot Rod and Cup were kind of, to me, it seemed like, you know, there were 
there were featured characters kind of alongside Optimus's inner circle, you know, so like me being a fan of those characters, it was fun to see them there. Obviously, you know, with Furman writing, it's like Grimlock is not going to be on the sidelines at all. Um, I mean, it's funny now that I'm looking at it because Justin pointed out how what his reaction was to the Dinobots and Sludge in particular. I feel like I'm spoiling my own stuff because I, I attributed the the Beetlejuice tongue to, you know, Starscream in, in later issues and, and, and splashes and panels and stuff. But to me, it looks like Sludge also has that Beetlejuice tongue, which I could understand. I mean, I can understand why some people would have a adverse reaction to it. Like, you know, there's that part of me that's like, oh, it's kind of a shame that Derek Yaniger couldn't either they couldn't hold off you know, to keep the consistency of that artistic vision. But, you know, I know it's all about timeliness. So had they held off, you know, you, you might have only gotten like three or four issues of this versus 12, right? Like it might have been canceled, you know, before anything could have come out or whatever. So I guess, you know, you should count your chickens and be grateful you got, you know, whatever it was you got with the disparate, you know, art styles and, and, and artists that you had. But, you know, th- there is that aspect that, I guess for me, I think I'm a little more open to it now than I would have been back then, if that makes sense. You know, like I could I could see both both sides of that coin. Um, And then then as far as like the G.I. Joe thing, I mean, you know, it was like that was I think that was part of the, you know, I don't know, in the shit stuff like you, 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 you know, you're like, oh. G.I. Joe is in Transformers like what and uh, the thing about that that I guess just as a sidebar that was like slightly disappointing was because I think at that particular point in time Andrew Wildman was the regular penciler on G.I. Joe and then I had heard that G.I. Joe was gonna have some crossover with Transformers leading into this new series and I thought oh great like Wildman's gonna do more Transformers this is gonna be awesome and then feeling like sort of disappointed because essentially I think if if I recall correctly, like Wildman may have done like a page with Megatron landing in front of that Decepticon fortress, but the rest of them were done by like other artists like Chris Batista or, you know, a bunch of different guys that were not Wildman. So I remember kind of feeling disappointed with that too, but the, the first issue itself too, like it's interesting because Furman talks about like that this will be a fresh starting point. Like, like he's really trying to like, it's funny. Maybe, maybe this is what it is, but it's like, he's really trying to tow the company line, even though he knows the book is already canceled. Like, does that make sense? Like, like, cause it seems like in the letters page, it's like, Oh, I never thought I'd be back on transformers. And I, 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 you know, I really thought it was the end, but I guess it's not. And let's, let's keep this going for a long time, guys. This is going to be rad. And this is totally brand new. Like you don't need to know anything that came before, except you need to run out and buy these five issues of GI Joe that explain it all. And, and then, and then there's like these, these, reference pages you know where you can see you know as you continue to read this he does kind of tie it back into like the previous g1 series you know it's like you you kind of see like a car wash of doom reference in this issue right like like where it's like buster and rat bat are going at it you know like type thing and it's like oh you know like that's 
that's not exactly i mean nobody explains that to you it's just there there's that that sort of flashback collage you know where you go through all the different uh, threats and nemesis nemeses that um that the Autobots and Prime have faced over the years. You know, you've got, you know, Prime and Megatron face to face, but then he's like, we, you know, the, the, you know, you got the Furmanism, the war is over, finished. Like, and, and they fought Unicron and they fought Bludgeon and they fought Megatron and they fought Shockwave and they fought Scorponok and they fought Galvatron, you know? And it's like that, I mean, I, I guess you could argue like that's all you need to know that they, they, they've been fighting for a long time and they fought all these other people. And now here, here are the, here's the new big bad and his name is going to be G axis. And, and, and that's who you're going to focus on on this series for the most part moving forward. But I also kind of felt like it, it was done in the, the sort of vaguest of, you know, it's like, Oh, and let's cut to earth and general Hawk and mainframe and, you know, and, and, and see what's going on with Dr. Biggles Jones. And I'm just kind of like, that's not really like, I mean, you know, I don't know. It, it's just funny to me because, like, that's not necessarily. I mean, that's the beauty of comics, but it's also kind of like, you know, the that you're giving kind of like the false bill of goods. It's like if you had read Transformers all the way up until the end before this, and read all the GI Joe issues leading to this, yes, you you should totally be able to follow it. If you were just coming on to this with this first issue, I think, and it would only be fair, like you would have questions, and and I don't disparage anybody from having questions it's like to me that's what makes comics great you go and find back issues or you you figure stuff out right but you know um i guess the only other thing i i because I, I had a bunch of different notes on this first issue but i just wanted to say too that in addition to like colonization like the the notion of g-axis and his his cybertronian empire like being a force of nature in a way, you know, like I, I kind of felt like they were giving that group a sense of like Galactus level importance, you know, like, like that typical Galactus one liner, like do, do you, are you concerned with the ants that walk beneath your feet? Of course you're not like, and that is how Galactus views humans. Like they are the ants beneath his feet. It's not like I stop eating my, uh, my sandwich at a picnic because there are ants there. In fact, if the ants rise up and try to steal my sandwich, I'm like, screw you ants. I'm killing you all and eating my sandwich. Right? Like that's, and I don't, I don't feel guilt or remorse or anything like that. If there are ants, like I'm going to continue to build my, my building or my empire or what, you know, it's like the, the, the ants are not a point of consideration. Right. And, and that's, that's how it seems like this Cybertronian empire treats the I, I would say most for the most part organic life forms it encounters right and like that I also thought was something that you know just just like the colonization aspect was something that you know something that writers would come back to and say like IDW or whatever like that had me thinking about how Cybertronians basically finally end up in something like Last Bot Standing you know like like in, in its own way like those those guys, you know, Steeljaw and those guys or whatever are like the, you know, in in some ways you could see like, oh, if Generation 2 ended here and then you jumped like, you know, a billion years in the future, like the 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 hot rod in Last Spot Standing or Rodimus or whatever 
old man Rodimus could have easily been this from this continuity, you know, because that, you know, just them guzzling human beings for fuel is not all that different from them trampling over organic people just because they're like, well, we need to expand. We need to continue to, you know, amass power and, and, and colonize and build worlds that we terraform into being Cybertron and, and just keep going through the galaxy, you know, expansion, you know, I guess, I guess you could, if you really wanted to, you could make like uh, a loose parallel to, you know, things like manifest destiny and all this other stuff. Like they're, they're interesting concepts, you know, like, I don't, I don't know how much of that was all fully realized in the series, but I think, I think they're all interesting. And I think that's kind of what Mike is getting at when, when he says that the series doesn't always get, you know, the, the, you know, people focus on the, the superficial aspects that they don't care for, but they, they probably tend to overlook, you know, some of the more interesting aspects that, you know, other people were able to either expand upon, or you could point to this and say, you know, this is really the first time that was ever explored in Transformers, you know? And so I, I, I do think it's pretty fascinating on that level. I also kind of like the uh, whole thing with uh, G-Axis being almost confused by Autobots and Decepticons because he's like, why did they? Wh- why are they still fighting? Like, we're all supposed to be doing this now. It's it's almost like somebody from 2023 going back to like the 1800s and being like, the fuck is an outhouse? You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's just like amazed at like they're so primitive, even though they're they're Cybertronians. I think like, you know, part of it is also G-Axis like protesting too much, as we'll see in like later issues where, you know, he's, you know, he thinks he's evolved beyond like these throwbacks. But we'll see that, you know, it's not they're very much not that far apart. But uh, I I think that's why they had to have that scene with Blades and Hound and all that other stuff. Like it's not, you know, that's that what that inner beast or inner demon or whatever that you know they like you saying he he thinks somehow they they've evolved beyond that and it's funny because if you just apply this sense of rationale like this this kind of like you know galactus level thing like I, i i think that's more of a facade in this which makes it more interesting whereas i i think with galactus you're supposed to take it at face value like he you know he he really is He's neither good nor evil. He just is. But I think when you try to apply that to yourself in terms of a a cause or, a, you know, a, some kind of rationale for for, you know, your actions, it's usually not as straightforward as that. You know what I mean? Like you try to declare yourself like non evil and it's like, oh, but I'm going to mulch all these like little blue people so I can colonize like. A planet for myself like then it's like oh well you kind of are evil you're not above it you know you're just kind of saying that to yourself so it can get you through the day as far as Derek Yaniger's art goes like I, I think in later years I've always tried to characterize it as like uh, the way like I, I definitely like it he's one of my favorite artists like to ever like draw Transformers comics but I, I've always characterized it as like a mix of Andy Wildman and Jeff Senior's styles because it's like he draws really square robots 
but they also have like the sort of grit and like grime on them that like Andy Wildman would add like for like, you know, details and stuff. And like, you know, obviously like the, uh, you'd you'd see a lot of wires and stuff connecting all their joints or just hanging off them and stuff. And I think Manny Galen would go like, like ape shit, like, like with that aspect where like, you know, people's entire necks would be made of wires and stuff later on. But I, I think Yaniger was a little more restrained in that regard, but yeah, but like, I I've always liked his art and I'm glad he at least got to draw like this full first issue. It's funny because, like you said, like Furman says in the you know letters page, like, hey, you know, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna make it this, you know, run this for a long time again. But uh, already, the whole joke behind G Axis's name is that you know it's G Axis because like he knew that this book probably wasn't long for the world when it launched. So, and you know, like as you always say, Derek, it's like the numbers like generation two was doing would be like, you know, people would kill for nowadays, basically like, but you know, the back then it was like, you know, Oh, less than, you know, whatever, like 90, 90,000 copies. Like, no, that, that can't be a, you know, that that's not selling enough. Like, so. GXS is a silly name. I want to call him Chaz Wasser. <laughs> I would have called it Chaz Wasser. I, I think yeah. it is kind of cool, but before we move on to issue two, we, it was already referenced that Grimlock is uh, uh, one of the focused characters, one of the lead characters, if you will. Um, this is definitely, I think, you know, maybe not the start, but like G G two really kind of cements the fact that Grimlock is not stupid. Like he is, you know, not only his own brand of intelligence, I guess you would say, but like. You know, when I was rereading these all these issues, and it starts here, he's actually a lot more thoughtful than his cartoon or or a lot of other iterations. Because like he he's like the leader for pretty much of the Firestormers, and he's also like got genuine respect from his team. Like they don't just fear him; they're like Grimlock's right. You know, he he knows what he you know he he's he's grown as a character by this. Yeah, he's definitely not like King Grimlock anymore. Yeah, like he no. has actual concern, it seems like, for the people under his command. And, you know, even he seems like, you know, he's he kind of, you know, stops Blades and Hound from fighting and says, hey, remember, like, we're the good guys. I think I think this is a, a good example of and, and you know, who knows? I mean, I mean, this this could be heralded. It, it could be pointed to as when everything went downhill. Right. But you know, to me, this this is, you know, Grimlock's like first, like probably delicately balanced use of fan aura because, you know, that instance where, you know, Prime, you know, realizes like you know, G-Axis has explained everything and he's like, oh, I feel so insignificant. Like we've been off having this little tiff with Megatron. But meanwhile, like all the quote-unquote real Cybertronians have been out doing this massive colonization thing and, you know, basically Prime's a sad sack, right? Like, it's not it's not like he's a hand-ringy Prime like he was in the Generation 1 comics where, you know, he was kind of hamleting the hell out of everything. Like, this is more like he's like, dude, we're a joke. Like, and, and everyone knew the punchline except us. But Grimlock's the one that's, like, basically, like, he... The, the the fan aura aspect is like in 
you know, JLA when, you know, Batman's like, hey, Superman, remember, you're the bestest. And then Superman's like, oh, yeah, I am the bestest. And then he goes and beats like, uh, you know, the the. I forget what it is, like the the Whirlgog or the Magog or the you know whatever the whatever the Grant Morrison bad guy was at the time, you know, and he, he kicks the shit out of it. But he, he, you know, when when Superman was having his moment of doubt, it was like Batman going, "Clark, you're the bestest. Like, go go out and be the bestest." And this is this is Prime kind of having that moment where he's like, "Oh, I I I'm having myself doubt and everything," and and basically at this point, Grimlock's like, "Remember, we badass. Like, we all badass." And then Prime's like, "Oh yeah, we are badass." And then they go and bust out of jail and and you know continue on their merry way. Maybe we guilty of not seeing big picture, but Decepticons guilty too. See too big a picture. Time on Earth help us look down, see what we trample on. In life, no matter what its size or form, we watch it struggle, fight for existence. We helped it then, why not now? If Decepticons not see that their way wrong, it's up to us to educate them the hard way. Well, let's move on to issue number two, which is entitled All or Nothing. Aboard the Ark, the stowaway Spike Quitwicky must reunite with Fortress Maximus to take on the all-new, all-powerful Megatron. And on Earth, Hotspot must prevent the ruthless terrorist organization known as Cobra from reaping the secrets of Cybertronian technology, no matter the cost. So yeah, that's the main story in uh, issue number two. It's mostly uh, tying up the loose ends from like the G.I. Joe crossover. And uh, like <laughs> I-, I was joking before we started, but I feel like, you know, they can only do one story with Fortress Maximus, and that's like, you know, Spike, like, gives up being Fortress Maximus, then comes back to it, and then, like, gives up it again, and then comes back to it, and this time is the last time, like, they do that, and, you know, he dies at the end of it. So, like, I mean, I wasn't, like, I remember when I read this the first time, like, I knew who Fortress Maximus was, but I think I was still a little, like, I had some back issues, but I was still a little, like, off-put that he was, like, a normal-sized, like, guy, I guess. And, like, here he's, I feel like he's even smaller than usual. Like, he, like, the new Megatron looks even, like, bulkier than he does. So, like, it, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like, you know, Derek, you probably have a lot more to say since, like, Fort Max is one of your favorite characters. But, like, I don't know. Like, this is, like, it, it maybe it's, like, you know, Furman showing that no one is safe and, like, you know, no, anyone can die or whatever. But maybe this is, like, a, you know, somewhat ignominious way to write Fort Max out like for good like I, I mean like he gets his like sort of heroic sacrifice but it it's all for naught because like you know Megatron survives this so like you know I think I think all the the only thing I can say about this without getting all kind of on an emotional level is it's really simple Mike Megatron is the new toy like yeah. the new toy uh-huh. owns the old toys like that it's it's just as simple as that like like you can't i mean if if there was going to be some kind of g2 like you know brave max grand max you know some kind of other figure that was on the horizon then maybe this still would have happened and then he would have been rebuilt later and come back in like the next you know 12 issue arc or something like that but they've kind of established for the most part 
This isn't necessarily a toy tie-in. So, I mean, it was just about, you know, Megatron being victorious in that G.I. Joe arc and him continuing to sort of be the most impressive big bad that he could be. And yeah, does it bug me? Like is Fortress Maximus like one of my favorite Autobots? Sure. Like, like, so, but it's like, well, if he's going to get totally pwned, well, at least it was Megatron. I mean, and the other thing too, I guess, like, like, I, I know we, we might tend to gloss over this too, but Megatron in the generation one comics didn't necessarily always have the best track record, right? Like all the people that read their early comics remember Shockwave beating his ass. Do you know what I mean? Like, like there's not, I mean, and then, and then after that, it's like, who, who led the Decepticons? Shockwave, Ratbat, like Bludgeon, like, you know, like, it's like there, there's all these other Scorponok, like there, there were all these other people, you know, Thunderwing, there were all these people that had reigns as Decepticon ruler. And so, I mean, in some ways, like maybe, maybe that was needed to, put Megatron back on the map. Like not only is he the new toy, but he, he destroyed the biggest, most expensive toy that you could have ever bought. And that's why you need to go out and buy this garishly colored Megatron or whatever. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's why, like, and I admit because the art was, you know, you talked about like, okay, you know, Derek Yaniger couldn't keep up with the schedule. So it's like what there, there are some pages from him. There are some pages from Manny Gallen. There are some pages from Andrew Wildman. And not only is the art inconsistent, but I'd argue like there is some confusion, right? Like, I mean, there's that point where I'm like, wait, so, so the ship got blown up. I'm like, oh, okay. So uh, Skydive saves Biggles Jones. They salute Fortress Maximus and Hotspot. They're like, oh, okay, you know, good job, bro. Like, you sacrificed yourself to save the day. But, I mean, I, I think even a few issues later, I was like, wait a minute, what happened to Dr. Biggles Jones? Like, wait a minute, what? Wh- and, and Megatron did, did, I mean, is it really a sacrifice if Megatron made it out? And Megatron, I mean, spoilers, Megatron made it out. Do you know what I mean? So I'm just like, Okay, like I, it's almost like I wish there was like an extra panel of Megatron going, see a sucker. And he like jumps out of the arc at the last minute, too, or something like. But then it's like, did, did Fortress Maximus' sacrifice serve like any point? Like, I don't know. Like, so when you say it's ignominious, like, I, I think I'm forced to agree with you. But like people even make that argument about Hotspot, too. Like, like where, you know, they're kind of like, oh, he blows himself up so cobra doesn't get a hold of him right but like aren't there all kinds of other like dead autobots and decepticons that cobra can like re-engineer or or uh reverse engineer at any given time so like is is even hot spots like i mean i get it conceptually but then like people start like applying all this like you know i mean they're hyper analytical about it and that's like well, maybe maybe you know, someone on this, you know, podcast can say, oh, wait, no, they're wrong. But I mean, just looking at it at face value, I'm like, I, you know, I don't know if I see that they're wrong. So it's like, to me, I think it's just simply, you know, Megatron's the new toy. Like we want you to buy Megatron. Megatron beat the shit out of the, 
the biggest, most expensive, oldest toy. And, you know, and, and maybe, I mean, I don't know, may, maybe there's that Colossus aspect, like where Lovedell just wanted Colossus to fuck off and die. And maybe at this point, like Furman's kind of like, oh, I'm over this Fort Max guy. Like maybe he just wanted him to fuck off and die. Well, Megatron's main arch enemy in G1 comics was Ratchet. So, I mean, there you go. Uh, but uh, it, it, speaking of Hotspot, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and get my, my, my little diatribe over that I promised. I, I would counter Hotspot's sacrifice with one. He pretty much kind of gets the co spotlight. It's like basically him, Fort Max, and then uh, Skydive. Like, those are the three guys who are, are doing shit this, this, uh, this issue. And Hotspot, even though he's fighting Cobra, he gets some good shots in. He's destroying his tanks and stuff like that. And at the end, you know, when he does have his, you know, final farewell, there is some lines where he says, you know, he's damaged uh, already, but he's also like, I'm tired. Everybody I know who was on my team is dead. By the way, good fucking team, by the way. Steeljaw, Brawn, Hotspot, and Skydive. What the fuck kind of team is that? <laughs> Random ass, yeah, choices, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, all those guys got fragged just like Fort Max, right? To prove yeah. that Megatron, the new toy, was better than the old toys. I mean, I, I don't know. Hearing Tony's diatribe, too, reminds me, like, so, something I've never been a fan of. And, and I think, um, you know, I don't know. Your mileage may vary, but... You know, my understanding is, even though I've never seen any of these movies, like to to me, this is the first inkling of like a Bayverse thing where like a military army destroyed a Transformer. Right. And and you're just like, are, are Transformers that easily, you know, like if, if it's if it's that I mean, I know the arguments like, oh, look, he took out a bunch of his tanks and whatever. But all I'm saying is if, if you get enough his tanks together, enough Cobra guys they can, you know, and, and, and the argument is, well, Hotspot blew himself up. Okay. Like, but, but to me, it's like they, they forced him into that. And then, and then to me, that leads to Bayformer movies where I, I'm presuming this happens. Like people actually do, you know, take out Transformers with their own military might. And I think, I think that's a bigger mistake than this, but I think this scene in some, you know, I, I'm sure nobody read this, but to me, it's like this scene begat those type of writing decisions where they went, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, yeah, we'll just we'll just have a, a bunch of big tanks blow up a transformer. And I'm just like, no, like, don't they should be impervious to all that stuff. That's the whole point. But, you know, whatever. Well, the only argument I could have for that, and this is not going to really rebut that it's 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 a. It's a complaint. It, it's shown in the comic, but it's a, a complaint I have as well. In in this issue, especially, they keep referencing, especially Megatron, how advanced Cobra's technology is. They rebuilt him, and he's got even better mm-hmm. weapon. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, I mean that that kind of explains it, I guess. But like, why the fuck does Cobra have like better technology than Cybertronian? It's a it's an explanation explanation, but it's not a good one. <laughs> so I'll I'll go with that. Like. I don't mind G.I. Joe being in my Transformers. I don't have a problem with it at all. But I, I think they kind of were reaching for that with, like, you know, Cobra's got such great, like, fucking technology now. That was kind of like, uh, do they, though? They lose a lot, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think that's mostly, like, Dr. Biggles Jones or whatever. She's supposed to be, like, so super smart that 
Megatron wants to take her brain out or something. Yeah, yeah, and, like, and, and bring her back to Cybertron or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, I do. I mean, I guess I, when you talked about Yanniger's art style and how it was, you you see it as a blend between Jeff Senior's kind of, uh, you know, boxiness, and then and then Wildman's kind of personification. Like, I, I think something that proves your point like that that sort of exemplifies that is the title splash of megatron in this second issue where he's basically you know celebrating that you know he beat everybody right but it's like it does have the you know the kind of boxy robotic look that that jeff senior would bring to the figures but then you know megatron as he's screaming you can see he's got like the little like spittle in his mouth and that was always kind of a signature to me like a signature andrew wildman type thing to to bring that sort of personification to a robot you know and and that's something that you can see as he's like screaming there you know kind of celebrating or whatever but you know sometimes later i don't i don't know that necessarily that was you know replicated in something like you know like Manny Gallen or, or even, you know, in, in obviously in some of the Wildman pages that are in this book, like most of them are featuring GI Joe characters and, and, and most of the transformers are just in vehicle mode. So there's not as much opportunity for him to do what he was well known for, I guess. What about you, Justin? I know you like Fort Max too. I always thought it was weird that um, you have uh, what's his name? directly turning into Fort Max's head. It's like Cerebros is just kind of bypassed. I always thought that was weird. I mean, I don't yeah. I don't know if I like missed something in like the first volume, like they that they did something with Cerebros or, or what, but I was just like, hey wait a minute, like that I mean I know this Fort Max is smaller and I'm kinda like you, Mike, like Fort Max and Scorponok being not city size in these comics always bugged me i think it took me a, a while to like wrap my head around that for some reason i was like wait a minute like how is it that power master prime and scorponok are just like talking to each other like scorponok should just be able to squish him <laughs> i mean i guess it's i mean i get it uh, it they they changed their size so that you know prime could have conversations with scorponok face to face or you know fort max could like have a duel with grimlock or whatever instead of just like stepping on him but um i don't know the like star trek nerd in me that's like read the nitpickers guide and can spot problems i'm just like hey wait a minute that doesn't work like that's not how that works at all like what happened there's like some reference in the g1 comic like where fort max does get like a size downgrade but they don't really explain why. They're just like, "You're shorter now. Cool. Good job." You know? <laughs> I think I think it's the opposite. They get no, like it's, a, the, he, it's the op- he he gets an upgrade like w- oh, before yeah. before he fights Shockwave. So that that's when Cerebros is technically introduced. So when when Galen and then Spike first become Fortress Maximus. It's like this, where Spike directly turns into the head, but then the following issue, then they're like, look, we've we've upgraded you, you're a little bit bigger, like, and you've got this extra robot mode, so then, then it turns into that kind of, um, you know, Russian nesting doll thing, where, you know, they, they, they stick a missile through him, and then he turns into Cerebros, and then Shockwave blasts the hell out of Cerebros, and then he turns into Spike, and 
can do the Rathacon thing with Buster from the the spaceship glass window or whatever. But like, I mean, my only no prize for for Justin would just be well, the, the, you know, I I think when when it's convenient for the story to ignore Cerebros, which was basically every issue other than issue thirty nine. Um, of the original G1 series, like people are apt to do that because because Cerebros plays no role in the story. So I think that's he's he's another unfortunate casualty that just we're like, oh, we don't. The, the only person important to this story is Spike, and then that's so they just say, oh, that's all that's needed. This issue also has like a backup story, which was like a, a like Halloween, like ash can, like sort of special, like that they they produced like like before issue one even came out. Um, it's just a like, you know, a, a brief story of the Autobots fighting bludgeons, Decepticons and that like for the, uh, you know, this like alien planet and then like uh the planet's guardian shows up and he's this giant like kaiju sized monster and then you know they they have everyone has to retreat but uh i mean it's a cute story it's got some nice jeff senior art you know it's kind of disposable though if it was like supposed to make people like excited for transformers generation 2 like i don't know how successful that is but it's got some really nice jeff senior art at least i do i do like the fact that like bludgeon's team is like pretty much like toys that were introduced around the time his toys introduced and like they would kind of hang out together it's like all the pretenders and like yeah, uh, yeah like quake and the, the, those guys who came out around the same time like everybody like megatron hangs out with like od Soundwave and all that they're like his guys and like bludgeon has like the uh the, the newer newer guys i guess you would say yeah it was all the guys he was like left with at the end of like marvel number 80 basically so like just like all his fourth year and fifth year guys, yeah. But uh, I, I like like I said, the the big kaiju alien guardian thing looks really like cool. Like, and I think the gag where it's like, oh, like I thought it was like you know, Optimus sent Hot Rod to make a giant hologram so it would scare Bludgeon, but then it turns out Hot Rod didn't make it, so the big, you know, kaiju thing is real, so they're like, ah, like, and you know, like, Jeff Sr. does draws that, like, to perfection, where they're all, like, gaping up at it, like, and it's looking at them, so. That is a nice moment of, like, we, 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 we often complain about Marvel Universe uh, movies, where they have forced comedy, and it's like, is it the appropriate time? And and that that was like a really nice scene where like Prime is like literally like gushing like Hotshot, I mean, Hot Rod really pulled it off. I thought you know I gave him too much to handle, but he really came through and made an amazing hologram that really scared everyone. It was so convincing, and then he like comes out like wop wop. I couldn't do it, guys, and like the beast is just standing there. Like that was like that was good comedy. Derek, Justin, do you have anything to say about the second like story or? I like the art. Yeah, the art's nice. It's interesting seeing Jeff Sr. trying to tackle the whole not your father's Autobot thing with Prime and his little T-Man bandolier or whatever (laughs) it is, you know? Like, that's that's interesting to me. I like Fangry going bowling for bumblebees. Hot Rod as the butt of the joke is not my favorite, but, you know, it's fine. Like, I mean, it is what it is. All right, well, let's, uh, we'll move on to issue number three. And the story is titled Primal Fear. 
On a distant planet, the Autobots clash with the new Decepticons, and Optimus Prime and G-Axis must confront their own inner demons during a head-to-head brawl. Meanwhile, Bludgeon's Decepticons make their way towards Earth in the War World, a giant battlecruiser capable of raising the planet to ash. So this is like a continuation of the, you know, Autobots versus the new, you know, Decepticons, Cybertronians or whatever. And Optimus and G-Axis get their first kind of one-on-one match. And Manny Galen takes over for like the main story. And like I said, he's, you know, he I think he catches a lot of flack. Like, and clearly he's not as good like as Derek Yaniger in, in like, you know, conveying the like, you know, the stylistic look that Yaniger like was gonna like, you know, bring to this entire series. But, you know, I still think he does fine. Like, I think he has a lot of dynamic shots. Like, I think, you know, he does the, he has the grit and the grime sometimes. Like he show he showcases the violence, like certainly well enough. Like when G-Axis like kicks Optimus onto that like spiky plant or whatever and like it impales Optimus like I think that that's all like suitably like you know gory or whatever and then it turns out like you know like the the planet they're on there's like a friggin like venom symbiote or something on it that's like increasing all their hostile feelings and stuff so they they have to kind of like already it's like Optimus and G-Axis have to like sort of like call it quits and make sure everyone gets off the planet like before it becomes even worse so like it's a a a character building thing for both optimus and g-axis basically i think it was too early to do the we're out of character story like with those guys like i i wish like either there was a way to put this like later in the arc or something you know like leading up to something perhaps if this is supposed to be brand new which i know it's not but if if it's supposed to be brand new and you don't really know prime very well and you definitely don't know g-axis very well yet it's hard for me to like be like oh look at how those guys well i don't know very well are acting out of character if we're, if we're supposed to be getting to know like a brand new version of optimus prime and this this new character g-axis it's like i don't i don't know i i it it just felt like that was kind of uh, shooting your wad a little too early, you know, like type thing. I mean, I like I like some of the art. Like, I mean, I don't know. I guess I, I guess maybe I am that guy that's like, oh, I, I don't think Manny Galen is is as good or or I can acknowledge him acknowledging his own shortcomings like that. He couldn't replicate tone that you know the style that was being gone for at the time i mean there are things that i'm just fascinated with you know like like the the opening like splash with the the two different faces and everything the prime and g-axis face like i i don't know why i just i think i tried to replicate that not not necessarily prime and g-axis but i just thought oh that's kind of cool like how how that crackling energy is used to split the faces. And then in some ways that's like, I want to say like, to me, that was like a a lazy way to split a screen without drawing everyone in the whole screen, I guess. I don't know. But like, I I always thought that was interesting. I like the, um, the kind of instant transform, I think is kind of cool. Like I like that page with cup. Where it's like you don't 
you know, a, a lot of times people try to show the degrees of transformation. And, and like with, with that, it's almost like it's those, you know, w- what do they call those figures that they have now? The like the one button transform ones or whatever, like one step changers. What one step changers? It's almost like Cup in that one panel is a one step changer where it's like he's, he's, he's racing. He kind of has like extra fists in the background or I don't know if that's supposed to be a fist or if it's supposed to be a just a, a stalactite or something but to me it, it looks like there's 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 some kind of fast motion and then all of a sudden it's like oh now he's he's a car and he's he's blamming with his his cannon and his little futuristic pickup mode and I, I I just thought that was kind of a cool little panel but yeah I, I just I don't know what it is I just I just thought it was too early for the the whole kind of potential rival fusion, you know, the kind of, uh, you know, oh, we need to put aside our differences. And and because clearly we're, we're so out of character. I'm like, they just met this asshole. How, how, how do you know he's out of character? Like, and is he that much out of character? I don't know. Like, you know, it's like it's so it, it's such a degree of subtlety that like, you know, I don't know. I, I just felt like that was the not not the best um story for for this arc I, I think the intention or the idea was good because like the idea was to to flesh out Jackson you know like I said you don't know this character so they were trying to do that but like the choice of the rival fusion might have been too early because you had just you know said like uh, we'll see that facade of his start to slip and we're already starting to see it slip you know he's Having emotions, you know, not like a good Vulcan, you know. He's like, maybe I, you know, maybe Prime is right. Yeah, you know, but he's he's having conflict already, and fleshing him out good, already having him like, you know, down himself or have a pause, you know, after he does the symbiote thing, you know, he's like sitting there on the ship, you know, before he nukes the planet, he's like, you know. Maybe Prime has a point, or maybe maybe there is something to this. Why do these Autobots? Why do these Autobots give me the feel? You know, it's like it is kind of soon for that. The action is good, though. I mean, but the fighting is really good. Like, there's a lot of again grim and grittiness to it, uh, and I, I like that. And I, I did like the idea of why they were like not only fighting each other because they're enemies, but like because like they can't even control their 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 hostility because of the the symbiote you know black glue black goo that would have been interesting like story developed further on later on to where you could actually even like develop that black goo you know like oh what is this shit you know like we could do something with this you know so like yeah i I kind of have to agree with you i don't know if i disliked it as much as you but it it was maybe a little too early to have like you know, Prime and Jax just have, like, a little heart-to-heart while they're beating the crap out of each other. I like the art in this. I think the neck cables are a little much at times, especially some of those shots with Hound. It's like, holy crap. And then um, there are two shots of Jaxus, like, when he's, at, he's chasing Prime, he's like, Prime, where are you, Prime? Like, he looks like Chibi Jaxus. Like, he just looks so tiny, and I don't know. It's... It, like especially where he's like that that shot of him from behind and he's yelling prime and prime's just kind of like hiding behind a rock like he he just looks like a little kid doing cosplay or just like a little chibi 
G-axis somehow gotten to this grim and gritty comic. I don't know. That uh, kind of makes me laugh for some reason. It's like when they when they show those uh, social media videos of like little kids and they're they're in Transformer outfits and everybody wants to like like go ooh look at how cool it is because these outfits really transform but but they're all clearly like five year olds that are doing it you know. <laughs> yes, yes. Too long, Optimus Prime, have I denied myself this most basic pleasure. I had almost forgotten the look, the slowly dawning realization in eyes grown weary of combat, the knowledge that though you fight on, death is inevitable. Lost, resolve crumbles into desperation. Fire becomes black despair. All pretense of bravado is swept away by one last wheezing appeal for mercy. I tell them, I have none. And then, like, the Derek Yanniger portion of this issue is just, you know, catching up with bludgeons like crew. And introducing like their the war world, like the new Decepticon sort of like battle cruiser, which is a cool, you know, they they blow up some like aliens and like, you know, bludgeons like, hey, let's go to Earth because we know like if I want to get Optimus Prime's attention, like, you know, all we got to do is like spit on Earth, basically. So, but uh, I don't know, like Derek, do you think like, you know, Furman had like, you know, Mongol or something in mind or like it would. Well, I was going to say, if you're if you're going to steal, steal from the best. Like, you know, so. Yeah. Uh huh. Like, I, I always thought the war, like the Decepticon war world was a cool like design. Like, I like, yeah, I don't yeah, know. It's it got cool. like, I, like I always it. wondered why it had a giant like windshield or something. Like that. <laughs> but I guess that's like it's like giant like uh, like gun or something. But. Yeah, like I always thought that was a cool design, and it's cool to see all like those Decepticons like drawn by Derek Yanniger, basically. So, like, particularly like I think Bludgeon it really benefits from being drawn by like Derek Yanniger. So, it's like he draws him with like a skeleton face, but it's like a fleshy skeleton face. I guess I can bring this up now, like in the the final panel, you know, Bludgeon has his. Or the final page, Bludgeoned has his internal, you know, thought balloons or monologue, whatever you want to call it, right? And he's basically kind of filling you in on his master plan, which is they they built all these kind of bludgeon bots, you know, his new warriors, but they have no life force. And it, it kind of fills you in that he's, you know, he wants the creation matrix from Optimus Prime, which is fine, but if this is supposed to be a brand new jumping on point, that monologue alone doesn't really explain that very well. And you'd have to have read the, you know, the G1 Marvel Transformers comic to even comprehend that. And then, you know, in, in preparation for this, I was just looking at like other stuff and I noticed there was the, like the UK issues of this, which, you know, a lot were, you know, reprints of this series, but they did have some originals in the beginning. And one of those originals was like a fight between Bludgeon and Prime. And they have a kind of back and forth where there's a bit more exposition. And the exposition actually kind of explains like the creation matrix more. Like, so it's like, 
I, I guess I'm just going to use this as an opportunity to say I, I don't think they managed to actually do that well for anyone who wasn't familiar with it in this U.S. comic. But if you could somehow slip in that U.K. issue somewhere in a collection, like I think that would have uh, been good enough for me. Yeah. I think, like, you know, when Furman says it's, like, new reader friendly, it probably was for, like, 1993. But, like, you know, nowadays, I think it's a little less so. I was going to say, well, yeah, like, I know, like, the UK had those, like, two issues of original content that basically retell the story of, like, one through three of the U.S. comic, like, in two issues or whatever. But, uh... I don't know. It, it kind of looked like I was I was argu- arguing with myself whether we, I should include that somewhere in this episode. But like I was like, oh, maybe that like in the future we can do like a weird oddities or appendices it, like episode where we like look at that stuff. But, you know, I think it's it's kind of like an inferior take on like at least stylistically wise on what you know, what goes down. But maybe like you said, technically wise, maybe it does like fulfill that like fresh start, yeah i think like i i think day. i think it's it's got more meat and potatoes to it like so i i think what you're saying is true you know like stylistically it's it 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 doesn't fit the mandate and what they were going for but i think you know just speaking from like a storytelling like a technical perspective like like it it does seem to fulfill some of those mandates, even though the the style seems more old. Like it, it, the art and the way it reads, it reads like an old school UK generation one Transformers comic, which is to say, like, seems kind of like a cut and dry meat and potatoes. Like everything's explained, like you can follow everything in the art. Like it doesn't have any of this extreme ors. 90s type stuff right so from that perspective yeah but uh in terms of like some kind of you know the the the, this is not your father's autobot feel it doesn't have that at all so i i see why especially in context with these 12 issues it is something of an oddity like it does make you wonder where exactly does that fit per se or was it was it like you're saying was it just supposed to be some kind of you know, alternate take on the first couple issues. If G2 was like the first time you'd ever been exposed to Transformers, you would probably know who Optimus Prime was. You'd probably know who Megatron was. You'd, you'd probably even know who like Starscream and, and uh, uh, Grimlock were. And they, they're all prominent figures in the comic. You know, you see them a lot. But like, if you're like a brand new reader, you might be like, who the fuck is this bludgeon guy? And what is he doing? Like leading the de- Decepticons. And also, they don't even have a toy of him in the G2 toy line, so, like, double, you know, head shake, like, as far as, like, it's a new thing, you know, it's a, like, we're, we're starting press, it's like, who the fuck is bludgeon, you know? <laughs> I guess, like, you know, back then it was only, like, what, two years since, like, the original series ended, so, you know, Furman, yeah. and, you know, Furman didn't have a lot of editorial oversight on this one. So it's probably like he was just like, well, I'm just going to continue my story from like, you know, the previous like series. So although, I, you know, I, I always make fun of like that stupid Linkara review of like Transformers Generation 2 where he's like, you know, 
I read the entire like Marvel original series and like, I don't know who bludgeon is like, and I'm like, really? Then you didn't read it. Cause like bludgeon's pretty prominent in those like last, Cause, like, cause yeah, 20 cause bludgeon's issues. only, only in 20 issues leading up to the, the finale. I mean, the reason bludgeon has like the fan aura he does in the transformers community is because of generation one comic, basically. Yeah. Yeah, he had, a, he had a cool a cool look and, and was in a lot of comics. All right, let's go on to uh, issue number four, which is titled Devices and Desires. Dissatisfied with Optimus Prime's inaction, Grimlock leads a squad of Autobots behind enemy lines to strike a blow against Jaxus's Cybertronian Empire. However, things go tragically wrong and Grimlock must find a way to keep his surviving troops alive. And on Earth, Bludgeon's Decepticons invade, but are confronted by the newly restored Megatron and Starscream. This is this is a spinner rack comic for me because I remember buying this when my parents were shopping, like food shopping, and I saw this on the spinner rack in the shopping like uh, center, and like I, I read it there, and I was like, wow, like, and I, I was like, I had to like have my like mom buy it for me, but you know, I again, I was kind of like a little off put like uh, you know shocked by all the like extreme violence in this one and stuff especially like red alert getting like you know utterly butchered or at at the very least like you know grimlock grimlock does his lone wolf uh break all the rules thing but there's actually like consequences for it this time even though he gets off pretty lightly i feel like at the end but yeah it was like (laughs) he even says like you know maybe get out of this okay after all and he did um I, I was I was gonna say there is like there is one thing that's kind of interesting in G two is like the power scaling, if you want to call it that, of like your random like uh G two Decepticon or Cybertronian Empire uh guy. It really reminded me of the Dragon Ball Z Bridge Return of Cooler, where like or Revenge of Cooler, where he has the cooler robots. It's like they show up and they kick everybody's ass and then like Vegeta and Goku are like, you know, fight, like talking for a minute. He's like, what are we going to do? And like, he's like, you better not say hit him harder. And Goku's like, I think we just got to hit him harder. And that's kind of how it seems like. It's like they come in, they kick the Autobots' asses. But if the Autobots just hit him a little bit harder, they kind of start, you know, getting decimated. It's like kind of weird. <laughs> I mean, they they should have at least like friggin' locked everyone up. Like, I mean, like the prison ship that's like transporting all the Autobots, like they're all just sitting on benches or something. So maybe they should have like restrained them in some way. But, you know, it's funny because like, you know, obviously all the Cybertronians are pretty like generic and cannon fodder. But like Furman seems to be treating like, you know, the Autobots in the same way, too, because it's like Mirage gets his like head blown off like out of nowhere, too. Like, so, you know, he didn't he didn't really have any limitations or rules on what he could had to like do. So I feel like he was using, you know, the freedom to show how there were actual consequences. Yeah. And and Red Alert does make an ass of himself because he's like. He tries to do the cool guy line. He's like, you know, it's like, it's not good. Uh, who says we're done yet? And then just wasted. <laughs> you know? like, uh, I, I don't know about that. Like, if you think back to the first volume, like, how many times did you see a Transformer get killed off only to be brought back like 20 or 30 issues later? I mean, 
whether it's you know Grimlock and Bumblebee and Jazz as pretenders or Starscream as a pretender or, or, or whatever else was going on, like Megatron and Optimus Prime getting brought back. I mean, Red Alert and Mirage getting killed, it it definitely has an impact, but like if you've you know if you've lived through the previous shit, it's like, okay, well I've seen Autobots and Decepticons get killed off like multiple times only for Ratchet to bring them back or you know, whatever, they get somehow resurrected. So I don't, I don't know. I, I guess I kind of question the, the impact of them being treated as. Cancer. I guess it's probably cause like, I, I don't think I had ever seen like an Autobot get like so viscerally like killed, mm-hmm. like, you know, on panel, like really, like most of the time it was just like zaps, like even, even the animated movie, it was kind of like, you know, Oh, they got holes blown in them and they fell over and they died. Like, but you know, red alert gets utterly like, you know, turned into a skeleton almost. I feel like Simon Furman has never been in the military. Cause like, you, you know, Probably what should have happened is Grimlock should have gone back and him and his entire team should have been put in the brig and they would be under like, you know, Autobot military arrest or whatever. But instead, like, perhaps like, OK, you're in charge. You got Red Alert killed. Whew, that guy was really getting on my nerves. He's so fucking paranoid. Great. You're in charge, buddy. But having said that, I, I thought this issue is important because it's the first time like the the Leech uh, Maximo is mentioned or whatever. And like that kind of reminds me of like in, in V the series, they're always talking about like the great leader and like you barely ever see the great leader. And when you do, it's kind of stupid because it's the TV show budget or whatever. But like they would always talk about like, Oh, there's, there's this bigger, you know, basically there's, there's somebody in charge of G axis. Right. And it's almost like G axis is Hordak and, and and the Legion Maximo is Horde Prime or something like that, right? But, like, we don't quite know that yet. So right now it's just all spoken in kind of, like, hushed tones. And it's not, you know, it's not, um, you know, it's not fully spelt out who this is. So that that is an aspect of, for me, like, an aspect of intrigue and everything like that. And, I, you know, I I kind of side with both Justin and Mike. It's like... I get what Justin's saying, because I've always felt that way, where people are like, oh, my God, did you see all the people Starscream killed in issue 50? And I'm always kind of like, are they really dead? Like, are they really like, you know, like that 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 whole kind of lack of impact because, you know, you can, you know, think up new toys and they can get rebuilt as those new toys. Or even if even if there's not new toys, like if it if it served the purpose of a story and they're robots, you know, it's like you can easily, you know, contrive some reason why those characters can come back to life. But to Mike's point, I mean, Red Alert does look like pretty fucking dead. Like, like it's it's not the same thing as when people were, quote unquote, offline by Starscream or 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 say Omega Supreme in issue 19. People are always like, oh, he killed all those Decepticons. I'm kind of like, did he really? He just kind of swatted them around and zapped them. But apparently, since you don't see them for like, you know, 50 more issues after that, it's like they decided he killed them off. But it's like if Omega Supreme had like 
atomized like thundercracker to the point where you could see like his bare like quote unquote ribs or whatever or his 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 you know half of his torso was disintegrated or whatever like i think you would have reacted to that a bit differently than mike reacted to to red alert kind of getting multiple hits like blown away or whatever i mean to to me i think the 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 mirage thing it, it is a little more like I, if it was just done like the mirage panel i think i think there there might be a little more argument because it's like okay mirage is essentially getting blasted you know but uh, i don't know like you know it's like like, like i said i can kind of see both sides of the argument when when it comes to that but i i will say that i i do see what mike's saying about how visceral the the red alert death is where it's like he's trying to look all badass and and then he's half of his body is like you know melted away and everything and the you know the the way that it's like the the kk and then nothing comes out of his mouth i mean that's a little more definitive than just you know starscream coming down and like zapping four guys and them going oh they're offline or what you know whatever nonsense gets spouted you know it's like to me like the the red alert thing, it, there's actually like a moment, kind of like there's a moment with, with Scorponok, you know, like, like when Scorponok died, I think to, to maybe to Justin's point or argument that this is not as revolutionary as you might think it is when, when Scorponok gets killed, you know, in Transformer 75, like that, I, I think the, you know, the red alert death doesn't have as much meaning because you didn't know the character as well. He's just some, cannon fodder Autobot who never appeared in Marvel comics until this point, essentially. But in terms of the, I don't know, the, the story beat the story moment, you know, the fact that, that Grimlock cares about him. And then if you compare that to prime and, and Scorponok having that relationship and then, you know, Unicron basically, you know, frying Scorponok and then them having that little moment where Scorponok's face is all, you know, gooey and messed up and whatever and then prime has that silent moment it's like grimlock doesn't necessarily have a silent moment but he's just kind of like sitting there going no like like he's dead basically and so i i I think that is a little different than than some of the other uh g1 quote-unquote deaths or you know whatever you want to call them well i think the art style even though i don't have a problem with how it looks visually i think it kind of has trouble conveying like what is like extreme damage? Because it seems like every time somebody takes a punch, like teeth are flying, visors are cracking, part of their head's flying off, and it's like the next panel. Some of them are okay, you know. They're like, "Oh wow, he really got me that time." And then sometimes it's like, "Oh no, catastrophic, you know, memory core failure." There, there's no bringing them back. So I think like maybe that decision to make it almost everything look super brutal. And I'm not saying that, like, you can't do that. I'm not saying you can't have it be a very graphic, you know, depiction. But, like, not all of them have consequences. You you see what I'm saying? They're they're dead as long as, you know, the right, like, you know, the right, the tone of the scene and what the writer intends. Like, I feel like, you know, those guys are dead because that's what they intend until someone needs them again. But, like, I don't, you know, this is effectively the end of the Marvel continuity as it was. So, like, no one's going to need them again. So probably, like, Red Alert and Mirage are dead for good. So Mike's like, 
They're dead, all right? Can I go now? I would argue, like, back in the day, you wouldn't know that, though. Like, would you know, like, this is only going to be 12 issues? You, you'd probably be like, okay, Red Alert's dead. Well, he'll probably be back by issue, like, 30 when he gets a new toy or something, mm, you know, maybe. Mm. But. I don't know. I thought they were dead when I read it. Can can we talk about, I mean, if you want to talk about this is not your father's Autobot and, and people losing their shit over, in my opinion, like, dumb stuff, like... I, I I would just like to point out that Prime is basically holding the captain of the Sabra is the name of the ship, like at gunpoint basically. So so if if you if if you you know I don't know if if there are people out there mad that Prime's ripping off people's faces and and mad about Superman snapping people's necks or you know I don't know whatever whatever's got your panties in a bunch. Well you know here's here's another thing here that you can. You know, you you can be Mark Wade and and get huffy and offended and and walk out of the theater over because Prime's holding this dude at gunpoint. And the insinuation is if he doesn't fly the ship up to help him bust out Grimlock and his buddies, uh, then he will blow the guy's fucking head off. And, uh, you know, to be honest, I'm like, so? (laughs) So? (laughs) And and he also uh, pretty much infers that he would kill the crew, too. It's like, you say you're Life. yeah <laughs> yeah you're saving you're sa- you know basically your your head will not be bluey juice and 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 the heads of your crew will not be bluey juice like that's that's what that's that's what your cooperation will uh provide you you know that's a cool moment for prime but i mean it's maybe it's like you know this is also the same Optimus Prime who, like, just last issue was like slaughtering them by the ton or whatever. So, right, like, right, I mean, right. yeah, like, so maybe it's you know when he when he has so, the but, opportunity to be like you know generous, I, I guess, he will. But I I guess though, thinking of it thematically though, like like uh, the 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 notion is interesting, right? Because you you've got the Autobots who are in some ways obviously they're. Exp- they're opposed to, you know, the way the Decepticons function. But this was, by design, trying to show you Autobots as anti-heroes. But even if if Prime's sitting there telling you he finds what Geaxis does abhorrent, you know, the, the colonization, the... Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of the right word. But, you know, like, like uh, the, basically treating uh, human beings uh, as... Uh, painting them as inhuman, you know, uh, for, for war efforts or war causes or whatever you want, you know, like basically to, to me, like G is going and saying, Oh yeah, these guys are like ants. Like that's painting them as, as long as they're not Cybertronian, it's not murder basically. Right. Whereas here you've got prime conceivably holding a fellow Cybertronian at gunpoint, but these guys are literally all cannon fodder. And in in some ways, like that's you know, Prime may think he's uh, morally above G axis or something, right? But he's clearly not, right? Because he he he's willing to use similar tactics, and I don't I don't think he would lose any sleep over this, you know, like so. And like you're saying that that shortly before this, he's he's mowing those guys down left and right. So clearly he 
you know, he doesn't lose any sleep over it. But I, I just find it interesting that, you know, it's like, you, you know, people want to have like absolute uh, morals or, or you know, across the board consistency with all that kind of stuff. But I think, you know, just showing dimensionality and, you know, unique situations and unique you know, environments like is probably more realistic than this kind of, I don't know, you know, character X must always do Y when confronted with Z or whatever, you know? Well, it's like G1 Optimus is like the Lone Ranger. You know, he's like this kind of squeaky clean, you know, good guy cowboy. And like G2 Optimus is like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Commando. Like he'll, Mm -hmm. he'll, Whatever he needs to to get his daughter back. <laughs> and um, the Tales from Earth part of this issue is like, you know, Derek Yaniger like showcasing some of Bludgeon's guys attacking Earth. And then, you know, we get Megatron and Starscream back in the picture at the end. Like, I think, you know, I think all that stuff looks pretty cool. You know, people tend to, you know, sometimes say like, oh, like when you have like Transformers, like killing humans or whatever, it's all like, you know, gritty and mature and adult. But I and I don't know, I think it's ironically enough, like I don't find like this Decepticon rampage as gratuitous as like the stuff in like, you know, the first Dreamwave comics or whatever. Like I feel, you know, it's not like. Furman's like showing like you know humans getting like squished to like paste or whatever it's just you know them attacking and like you know just generally destroying stuff like so it's gratuitous and in, in like the way that this whole series is like 90s gratuitous but I don't think it's like the way the dream wave thing like you know portrayed it it was kind of like look how cool this is and the way this is portraying it is kind of like, hey, look, like this is awful. Like the Decepticons are invading Earth and there's no one to stop them. So, well, speaking of, of 90s gratuitous, though, I mean, the Bludgeon and his commando squad leaping out of War World onto the Earth, like, like there's nothing more Rob Liefeld Youngblood than that pit. You know what I mean? Like, they're, they're, like <laughs> that was that was a staple of, of you know, it's like, oh, like, it, in any Rob Liefeld comic, you know, it was like, there was always like some, some ship, whether, you know, you could, you could attribute it to anything. It could have been a Quinjet. It could have been a Blackbird. It could have been whatever the hell cable and all those guys flew and whatever the hell, you know, Youngblood and all those guys flew, but there was always some splash or two page spread or whatever. And, uh, you know, I can picture it now, you know, Shaft would have been in the position that Bludgeon's in, and, you know, uh, Octopunch would have been in the same position that like Chapel was in or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, you know, and, and it's, it's fantastic, right? Like I, I love it, but it's, it's certainly like nineties to the max. It's actually, it's, it's so, I guess, well known that, the, the artist who did the uh, Shattered Glass, like the first Shattered Glass Bacon comic, he aped that uh, kind of scene for when the uh, the good guy Decepticons come in to, uh, to save the day. <laughs> yeah, there's a like direct homage to that scene. Yep, to the jumping from the ship from above, like I think like Deathsaurus is in the exact same like pose or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. That was kind of cool. Uh, the only thing I would say about it is, is like, man, Starscream is so lucky he gets new toys so often because, like, there was really no real reason to bring him back. Yeah, like in a later issue, Megatron like literally calls himself an idiot for doing it. So, like, yeah, 
Uh-huh. And it's to- not even the first time he's did this. I mean, he, like I said earlier, like Megatron had Starscream brought back as a pretender. And everyone kind of questioned him then. He's like, no, this is part of my plan, you see, because uh, he, he doesn't have his memory. But Ratchet kind of like mucked that up for him. But this isn't even the first time this has even happened. So it's I think Megatron just likes having him around for whatever reason. Keep him on his toes or something. It's, it's the delicious irony. Don't you taste it? You taste the delicious I, I think, irony. I, I think it also shit cans uh, any argument Mike or myself would have against Justin's argument that Red Alert is really for really reals dead. Because if if Starscream can get brought back at Megatron's whim and beck and call at any time he feels like it, then uh, presumably Prime should just be able to be like, oh, yeah, let's bring back Red Alert, which lends credence to my theory that Prime was secretly happy that Grimlock took him along that ride (laughs) to get him killed. I mean, that's why he got promoted (laughs) afterwards. I I picture, like, Derek making Starscream's face right now when he says, (laughs) good on you, man. (laughs) Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. All right, well, let's move on to uh, issue number five, uh, which is titled The Power and the Glory. Optimus Prime journeys to Cybertron to learn the origin of the new faction of Decepticons, discovering an ancient secret that dates back to the Transformers' very creation. Meanwhile, on Earth, Megatron and Bludgeon battle for leadership of the Decepticons, and only one will survive. I'm I'm betting on the guy who has a new toy. I I I really dig the uh, the Shakespearean, you know. Alas, poor Yorick. I knew Horatio cover. That, yeah, that's, that's one of really the best sweet. covers. Yeah, yeah, of this whole series. Yeah, like they homaged it in Regeneration One too. Like with the Rodimus after he defeats Bludgeon, like later on in like Regeneration One. But yeah, that's definitely one of the most memorable covers from this series. I'd say it's it's probably like as far as visual transformer images, it's probably iconic. It's probably like almost around there with like Shockwave and they're all dead. So, mm. so like the the big thing in this issue is like the the like discovery of like you know how the second generation Cybertronians like came into being and like they you know they they Simon Furman introduces the concept of like the budding like birth like of transformers where like you know they like sort of replicated and stuff like and like it's not something that's really like gained traction anywhere else like aside from like you know the you know generation two cybertronians like what do you think of that like sort of like birth like like origin myth of transformers that some like eventually were born like you know like butted off from other transformers is that something that's like weird or it's very weird and i remember trying to wrap my head around the fact that like transformers had dna i'm like well they've got you know they're always talking about fluids and they consume energon which is energy but i'm like but the robots robots don't have dna if they had dna they'd be like cyborgs or something so like this is like to me, this is like, you know, uh, to use a phrase Tony will recognize from Jim Cornette, this is like a hat on a hat for me. I'm just like, but <laughs> the robots don't have DNA, so how can they, like, bio-emerge from each other and spawn? Like, I don't I don't get it. And I still, like, when I was rereading this, I was like, oh, yeah, this is still weird. I don't know that, you know, like, 30 years later, I, think, I feel like I'm still, like, trying to wrap my head around some of these panels here. 
I, I think I think I can cancel myself tonight, so I'm gonna go for it. Like do it. I think I think the whole point uh, like I think you are supposed to think this is weird. I think the whole point is like Optimus Prime is getting a peyote trip. <laughs> he's like he's like look look at these fucking weirdos like you're not supposed to reproduce asexually like this like this is like this is weird and then on top of that my my proof for that is like th- th- this is what makes the swarm right like i mean isn't isn't the consequence of them doing this weirdo shit that the swarm exists. Yeah. Like, it's like the, the like, runoff from it. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? So it's like, I mean, to, to me, like that's, I mean, that that's kind of like, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to make any real world parallels and really get myself canceled, but like, th- I mean, that's basically what the, to me, that's the message I got out of it is like the, these guys were having their secret little budding ceremony and they did a budding and then everybody did buddings and then enough people did buddings that it made this swarm shit, which is the the unfortunate consequence of it. And then, you know, Prime and Megatron and all these guys are left to deal with the the consequences of that shit. Like, that's why that's why Prime's having all these horrible visions all the time, because it's like not only it's not just about bludgeon and it's not just about G-Axis or and even the, the Liege Maximo or whatever. It's about, dude, this swarm business is like. It'd be like if, like, we were already talking about they were trying to compare themselves falsely to Galactus. Like, we're not good, we're not evil, we just are. Like, everything that's non-Cybertronian is, you know, is not, we don't consider it real life, right? Like, so, so we're fine with going out and colonizing all these planets and terraforming them into Cybertron. But to do that... We constantly bud and rebirth in this, you know, clearly unnatural fashion. And because it's unnatural, the consequence is that the the swarm exists, which is to me, it's like the black fucking plague of Transformers. Right. Like and it's like that is, is one of those things where it's like that. That's also a kind of a fascinating idea, which I think, again, you know, people might just kind of blow that off. Right. It's just some some big bad or, you know, I, I don't know, you know, kind of, kind of what Mike was getting at that people don't credit the the book enough. Right. Because I, I think that's, that's something that is a, it's an unintended consequence, but it's, it's this primordial kind of fear that, you know, you know how people are always like, Oh, transformers are boxes. Like I can't relate to boxes. I can't relate to robots. I can't relate to whatever. Well, you know what you can relate to a fucking deadly disease that can wipe out everything. And it's like, so at that point you can understand why prime has restless nights because you're like, Oh, I have restless nights. You know, I can't sleep sometimes because I worry about whatever it is that I worry about in the world. And, and prime's worried about this, this, weird disease that sprung from all this abnormal budding bullshit. And, and, and that's, I don't know, to me, that's like one of those things where you're like, Oh, well that all, you know, you know, at at a very kind of basic level, right? Like, like you, you don't need to uh, apply any real world kind of scenario to it, but, but it's all 
to me, I, I think the fear of that is relatable. The, 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 the reveal of that, you know, being shocking is relatable or the, the incomprehensibility of it all, you know, you, you know how Justin said, Oh, I've got two hats. And like, that's the joke. You know, it's like, it's like, why, you know, it's like primes discovering that his, his species had two hats this whole time. And he's like, what? Like, why? Why did you do that? And then the result of the two hats is, like, not only do you falsely equivocate yourself to Galactus with your two hats, but, oh, by the way, you you made um, the hate plague or you made, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of some Marvel equivalent to, to uh, you know, you, you know, you made the, the cancer verse because of that or something. You know what I mean? Like, like you made something like totally horrible because of that. And now it's coming to like, hey, like. <laughs> you you made Marvel zombies because of that, you know, now it's coming to all bite us in the neck or something, you know, and you're just like, oh, geez. Like, so that is kind of a to, to me, it's like a heavy, you know, conceptual kind of tone to throw into, you know, like and, and there's layers to it, which which, again, I think I find fascinating and, and agreeing with Mike. I don't think people give this this book enough credit for. I guess I'll go with like there's one part of my brain that like. As far as sci-fi goes, it's an interesting concept. You know, it was like robots who have bud. I mean, that's the only term that really works with what you see. So the, the budding thing is like, oh, well, that's an interesting idea. Like, maybe I would like to know more about it. And then there's the like 98% of the time that I'm just, you know, normal Tony. And I'm like, ew, that's gross. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to Derek's point, I think it's a little bit too high concept maybe for Transformers, like the, the, the ifs and where's and when's of like what Simon Furman was trying to get across. But uh, in general, like I, you know, I just go back to what you said a minute ago, Mike, like it just hasn't taken, like there's not a lot of fiction. Like even Furman hasn't really gone back to it where it's like, no budding, that's how they, yeah, that's how you make another Transformer. You know, it's just, it never caught on. It wasn't, you know, wasn't one of the better executed ideas to where like it's accepted as canon. It's like, no, no. It's like, you know, the Beast Wars came along and Protoforce, and there you go. Let's never talk about budding ever again. You know. <laughs> I, I mean, I would kind of argue that Protoforms is the natural way to do it, and and budding is some weird blasphemy as of Primus or something like that, and that's why they got into the trouble they got into. But, you know, I don't know. Uh, people who do not support Primus can send angry emails and cancel me or whatever they need to do <laughs> over that. Um, but um, as, a, as a side note, um, as, as a Hot Rod fanboy, I, I do enjoy the war games they play, like with him and Groove. And he, he Hot Rod gets to be kind of like the, the, I mean, literally gets to be the Wolverine of the scenario because they have their own little war games danger room sequence. And he gets like, just like, just like Wolverine always said it. And just like Gambit got to say it when he was the new cool kid on the block, like hot rod gets to be like, bang, you're dead, you know, like type thing in the, the little war game scenario. So I, I did enjoy that sequence for, for, for what that's worth. Um, and then, and then of course, um, well, I guess, I guess you're, you're going to get to that, but, um, my my note, you know, again, 
since we already talked about it with Sludge, is probably not as big of a deal. But like um, Starscream with Beetlejuice tongue, like I, I, I don't know why I feel that's worth discussing because I think <laughs> yeah. I think that's like for so for some reason that's every, certainly a choice. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I mean that's almost as unnatural as budding, right? Where you're like looking, going, what the <laughs> fuck? Like, what is up with that? Like, why, why does he have Beetlejuice tongue? Like. Like is is that is that the effect of like too many like Sledge and Starscream too many resurrections? It's like, uh, Sledge been killed too many times. Sledge have Beetlejuice tongue. Like is that is that like the consequence of multiple resurrections? I don't know, but it makes sense for Sludge in Dinobot mode, but it doesn't for Starscream in robot mode. It's just really weird. It's an odd choice. I don't. I still don't get it. Maybe maybe that was like they they only had sledge tongue parts left around <laughs> like when when he brought it back or some shit I don't know dude like I I I don't know why but I find it like so like I, I'm I, it's one of those things where like it's off but it's like charmingly off like I'm gonna always like remember that like I think I think it's I don't know why I think it's funny and then um I guess I just uh, Justin and I got to see the um the the final page of this issue in in real life when we came home from heroes con we stopped at that one shop or whatever but i just thought i'd i'd um plug it in the chat for you guys to see too since we're talking about that specific issue but like we we did get to see this this was like framed and in the the comic store and everything like that so i thought that was kind of neat like I, that's why we went to go to that store specifically because because I just Neato. wanted to, I just wanted to see it in person. So, cool. yeah, I I do kind of wish that like you know Derek Yaniger got to draw that like fight or whatever, but I I think Manny Galen did a f- okay job. Yeah, I I appreciate you know the fact that like yes, it, it'd be nice to go to the Fringe universe where Derek Yaniger was like. Uh, you know, more of a timely artist and, and could pull off all 12 of these issues. But um, you, you could make the argument that if this had the, the the limited shelf life, it was always going to have like the fact that um, that Manny came on and did the issues probably extended that short shelf life beyond what it could have been if if the, you know, the productivity of the art was was going to be the same, you know, timetable or whatever. So. It is time. For too long, Bludgeon, you have fancied yourself leader of the Decepticons, a worthy successor to the throne of Megatron. It is this cruel self-deception I have come here to shatter. You delude yourself. The once-revered Megatron is but a sad joke. A legend tarnished by a host of humiliating defeats. You should have stayed dead. I, I just like the look on Fangry's face on that page. He's like, oh no, dude, we're screwed. <laughs> He's like, oh, we... Fangry's like, we done fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, crap, Megatron. Like, <laughs> shit. Wait, is, is he the guy later? I forget, like, like I, I know I'm spoiling it, but it's like, there's this funny-ass scene where, like, Megatron's giving him the speech on War World, and, and he's like, we're gonna go, we're gonna ransack these fucks, we're gonna murder them all, like, it's gonna be rad, and everybody's like, yay, Megatron! Megatron, yay, whatever. We're gonna fuck him up. We're gonna do this. And like one of the guys is like, we're gonna bludgeon him. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna beat him up. Yeah, that's what we're gonna do. <laughs> yeah, there's someone who's like in the crowd who yells yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. 
He's like, uh-huh. he, he hasn't quite gotten out of the uh, previous uh, administration. <laughs> uh-huh. I would like to add two technical notes that I've noticed Like uh, before we move on. It seems like combiners exist in G2 as far as the characters. You have like Hotshot, I mean Hotspot, and like Silverbolt in this issue shows up for like a little appearance. You know, his name dropped anyway. And you got Groove rolling in and everything like But they don't combine, it seems like. They're just more one-off, like, you know, characters now. Or, or they're concentrated on more as one-off characters, which is kind of interesting. I think it's just Furman not wanting to deal with, like, all the gimmicks and stuff. Like, I mean, even though, like, he does, like, use it, like, here. Like, he has Bludgeon, like, get out of his Pretender shell, like, and actually do that. Like, but Good use for the Pretender shell, yeah. He gets his... He gets his head blown off, and Megatron's like, whoa, ha, ha. And he's like, well, actually, Pretenders are more than BCI, you know? <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Wasn't, uh, I know it wasn't in the U.S. series, but wasn't, wasn't Bruticus in one of these, like, books at some point? Like, maybe the... Not, not in G2. Like, I don't think there was ever a combination in G2. There was, I swear to God, I just read something where it was like, it, maybe maybe it wasn't maybe they didn't combine but there was some scene with like onslaught and and then he was telling yeah like, like late later on last off some, to like fuck off or something. yeah that that's that happens later on okay in okay. like issue eight or nine i think okay yeah. okay for the most part, yeah, like the the combiner teams didn't really. Well, no, I guess like the you know the aerial bots in this one are together except for Skydog because he's on Earth, but like. I don't know, like, you know, when, whenever it's convenient, but. Right, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like, they're just, they seem to have more agency. Like, they don't always have to be together, yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, Blades is a prominent character, but the rest of the, you know, hot spots in issue two, but the rest of the Protectobots are just all over the place, so. But in any case, uh, let's, we'll, I guess we'll round it out with uh, the issue six, uh, with the story title is The Gathering Darkness. With Megatron restored as Decepticon leader, the invasion of Earth continues with devastating results. Optimus heads to the planet's surface to try and gain an alliance with Megatron against G-Axis, but Megatron has other plans in mind. And in the far reaches of space, the ravenous Swarm has appeared. Swarm. This, this, I remember this issue was one of the ones I did not get. And like I, I like I skipped from five to seven and I was like wondering, like, oh, what happened? Like, oh, man, I missed like the Optimus and Megatron fight like Optimus lost the Matrix. Like what? And like, I think one of my friends had this issue when I would like reread it, like every time I went over his house and then like years later, he was getting rid of his comics and he was like, oh, you want that Transformers issue you always used to read? And I was like, yeah, like so I bet that's when I acquired like a physical copy of it. But I remember this was one of the ones I was disappointed I never found in the store. But uh, but yeah, like, I mean, it leads off with like, you know, the Derek Yaniger pages of uh you know, stuff happening on Earth and, you know, the Decepticon invasion still going on. And then uh, Manny Galen handles the rest of the issue where Optimus tries to, you know, talk to Megatron and gets like utterly owned for his efforts. Like so. But uh, I think like even even last issue, like this was like, you know, 
Furman making sure Megatron, like, clawing back some of Megatron's rep, I guess, in, in the Marvel comics. Like, trying to make him, you know, as much of a badass as he can before he, like, you know, takes a fall on the next issue. But it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's cool for him to, you know, when he's beating up Optimus, he was like, you know... Every humiliation, like everything that's gone wrong, like it's going to all be paid back like today. Like so that, you know, I think that's all cool and stuff. Is it weird for me to suggest that this is the best version of Prime getting violated and the Matrix stolen from him or at least the the least... um, cringy version of it or whatever like i feel like i think i feel i feel like we've discussed this before and it's like there's there's aspects of the you know when 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 Furman had ej sue do it in the you know the 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 shun miniseries or whatever you know like there was that moment which i think you know some i i feel like i've seen some uh internet memes where people have made fun of that moment you know because they're so you know, close. It's like, oh, you know, kiss or, you know, whatever, whatever the stupid joke is. Right. Like, but that, but then, you know, we, we were kind of poking fun at it in the, the Netflix thing where you felt like it was like he was cradling his breasts or some crap or, you know, whatever, whatever (laughs) weirdness was going on there. And I, and I think this is just explicitly violent and explicitly like, I, I mean, it's a violation and, and, and he, you know, rips it right out of them and everything. But like, I, I don't know how to explain it. Like there's no, um, this probably will get me canceled, but there's no perversion about it. It's just, it's just, um, you know, he's just straight up like beating the shit out of him and then ripping it out of his chest. And like, it, and, and that's, that's it, you know, like, like, it, and I don't, I don't sense anything, you know, anything other, you know, any other, you know, there's no secret, weird subtext or yeah, weird. we like, we used to be friends or we used to whatever. This is just, this is just, I'm back. I, I need this fucking thing. I'm going to beat the fuck out of you. And now I'm ripping it out of your chest and basically leaving you for dead. You know, there, there's a lot of times you'll hear in like various iterations, like Megatron saying the line, you know, I must have the matrix or I need the matrix. And it's like, yeah, okay, sure, you know, I guess you're trying. Like, this is like a guy who really wants something. This is like, no, that's mine, and I don't care how badly I have to beat the shit out of you to get it. And he does. I, I do like uh, Prime's, like, entrance on the scene where he blows Tantrum to pieces. Like, I think that's, I mean, maybe you could say that's kind of not conducive to, like, peace talks or whatever. But, like, you know, I mean, they are laying waste to the, like, you know, the the planet. So. I think he hits his, like, gas tanks because isn't he the Predacon who has, like, like fuel pods on his? Yeah, he probably, like, ignites his fuel tanks. Yeah. Uh-huh. Fuck you. Um, I will say it's a shame that the series couldn't go longer because you get your nice sparkly new Megatron in his tank mode, but it really would have been nice to see Laser Optimus Prime, like, you know, come in and get his, like, new toy moment, you know? Because he gets, he, I, you know what? I'll give the artist credit. But there's more than a few times where they show Optimus in truck mode and he's got the black trailer and he's even got the stupid fucking, uh, um, sound box on the front of it with the guns. <laughs> yeah, he's got the big Autobot symbol on the front of his trailer in some shots, yeah. 
But uh, I guess I, I feel bad for G.I. Like, this is where G.I. Joe's continuity splits off into, like, a splinter timeline because, like, Larry Hama was not obviously, like, taking this into account like, that the Decepticons w- were laying waste to Earth or whatever. So, like, you know, I feel bad for this version of G.I. Joe because Hawk's all like, you know, yo, we're getting our butts kicked here, man. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, it's weird because... This is, I, I think, right? Is this not the last time we see G.I. Joe in this context? Yeah, I believe so. It is kind of funny that, like, now we, we had that Rise of the Beast movie and Transformers is trying to reignite G.I. Joe. And back in G2, it was G.I. Joe trying to reignite Transformers. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, G.I. Joe was like the moneymaker, like, you know, back then. So times have changed. I was going to say also, like I, I do like Simon's uh, core group of Autobots in general, because you've got the guys who get new toys like Grimlock and Sideswipe, and that's all well and good. You know, I'm happy about that. But much like Derek, you know, Hot Rod and Cup did not get new toys, and they're here. You know, they're they're like like Derek said, part of uh, Prime's inner circle, and so is like pretty much Prowl. You know, like. I, I really do like some of the picks they had for this is like, you know, it, it's, 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 it's some of my favorites. Cause I like Cup and I like Prowl. So I'm a little bit biased, but I, I like some of the choices they made. Like with, uh, with Megatron, he's got Starscream and uh Soundwave, but Soundwave didn't get a new toy. Well, I mean, he did, but it was like that little GoBot racer and the weird ass motorcycle, but he didn't get a new cassette tape, you know, for him. And it's like, I kind of like that, like, I like the characters they chose. You know, it's like they could have just said, yeah, Soundwave doesn't get a new toy. He's not in this comic, you know. I know you you kind of wanted to keep the most of the focus on the comic itself. And, and you know, I appreciate that. Like, I, I just did have one question for everybody, just because it struck me as I was looking at some of these, you know, the coloring and some of the, the UK comics and stuff while we were you know prepping for this or whatever and i was just kind of curious like are you and I, I you know this is a question that kind of applies to the comic as a whole so i, I you know this is to everybody but like did you like that with the exception of then this is just from my perspective so i guess you could prove me wrong with this at some point but from my perspective with the exception of g2 megatron which was specifically like i've got a new body i have a different look like my coloring is like the coloring of the toy like in some of those uk issues grimlock was colored blue you know what i mean like they they were colored like their g1 toy examples and it seemed like by and large the u.s comic like i said with the exception of g2 megatron for the most part kind of ignored that they just colored them like they were always colored so i guess my kind of wide birth question to to all three of you is like do you prefer that they ignored it and they just look like you kind of were normally used to them looking colored or did you have any desire since maybe you owned like the blue Grimlock or you, you know, you had whatever version of it was, you know, colored green or fuchsia or whatever fucking colors they had. Right. Did you, did you want, did you have a yearning to see that reflected since you've maybe owned that version of the toy? I was happy with my 
G2 blue Grimlock, but I didn't want him to be completely blue in the comic. Well, uh, starting with this issue, Starscream starts with, uh, having his G2 color scheme. And, uh, you know, Sideswipe has also had, obviously, his G2 color scheme. So right, I, I right. Think, I'm, I'm sorry. I, yeah. I forgot Sideswipe is pretty obvious. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, like, I, I feel like they just picked and chose, like, the ones that looked, like, you know, normal, basically, and not the, like, the wacky-ass ones, like, so. Well, I mean, I mean, I don't I don't know that I'd call Jazz's G2 look wacky, but I, I would argue that, you know, on this splash where Grimlock comes to save Prime and, and, and shows up with the whole cavalry, like, Jazz does not look like the G, you know, he doesn't have, the, like, the little uh, lime green decals or you know wh- whatever accents and stuff like that so i mean that to me it did seem like you know with some obvious exceptions you know sideswipe and megatron you know accepted and like you're saying i guess at some point later you know star starscream looks a bit more like his colors from g2 but for the most part it seems like they widely ignored it i mean i would say for me like I, I, my predilection is obviously like, oh, I, I like the, the old school colors and the rest of it all just kind of confuses me anyway, because sometimes, you know, a, a recolor of an existing figure can be a totally different character. So I just, you know, to me, I just wanted to keep everything straight, you know. So, I mean, I I kind of am in the camp where I just like the, the guys being you know, colored the way they always were, but um, but I was curious if there was any kind of fondness or or, or maybe yearning for you know it's a, a quote unquote accurate reflection of the the G two look, I guess. Yeah, it would have been kind of interesting to see Onslaught in his uh, yellow and and, and purple uh, <laughs> um, camouflage. I think by by most parts, I, I think it was. And I could be wrong. I wasn't there. I was not a part of the meetings. But I think the reason they might have went with that is because it seemed like Simon Furman obviously was going with Generation 2 more as a concept than just the toy line. He was like, you know, no, Generation 2 is, is the Cybertronian. They're the Generation 2 guys. Uh, the, the Autobots and the Decepticons we know are, are the same guys. And, and like Mike said, you know, the ones they did change are like, you know, Hey, Sidefight looks cool in black. We'll, we'll go with that. That's fine. You know, I appreciate that they kept them the same colors. I don't know if it would have, like, I haven't actually seen those uh, UK versions where they're colored, quote unquote, correctly. But, like, I, I don't know how I'd feel if they were different colors. I don't know if it would actually mean something to me, like, like you know, like, oh, I hate this or oh, I love it. But I, I appreciate it. As far as recognizability, like, you know, it's like, oh, Grimlock is gray because Grimlock is gray. And like, you know, uh, for example, uh, you know, when I saw when I saw Ramjet, he's got like like uh, a scene where it's a close up on his face and he's trying to blast people. And if he'd been purple, I'd been like, who the fuck is that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess I I, re- I don't remember caring like as a kid, and I guess I don't like care now. Like I think yeah, like 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 Tony said, like I think Furman was just more concerned with like the concept of you know Generation Two than like you know actually like it, obviously he had no mandates that he had to like you know make sure like you know the artists had to like draw him like that. So you know if it didn't matter to him, it didn't matter to me basically. 
but yeah, so like that's the midpoint of the series, and like uh, you know, they just see you know at the in the very end, like he uh, you know officially in- introduces the concept that the swarm is still out there after saying like showing it in issue five, but you know, and the swarm will be the big bad for generation two. So like more or less, well, you know, the big threat at least, you know, I, I have very fond memories of this, like, you know, series. So maybe like, you know, I'm very forgiving of any faults it might have, but like, like I said, I, I don't, I don't agree with the people who are like, Oh, this is like, you know, like, yes, it is very nineties and it's very, you know, dated, but like, what the fuck isn't dated? Like, I mean, stuff from the early two, you reread shit from the early two thousands and that's fucking dated too. Like, and you read stuff from the 2010s and that's dated now too. So, I mean, like every, every decade has its own vibe and you know, maybe they're, you know 90s was the extreme like in your face vibe so i mean maybe it's more noticeable than like others but i don't like dismiss this because it has the vibe of you know it it was created in an era where like this was you know as justin said this was the style at the time to have you know wires hanging off me and ammo belts all over the place and big guns and like extreme zores like stuff so I mean, I, I don't, you know, I acknowledge that, but I don't judge it like solely based on that. I think there's a lot here that that uh, influences future stuff. There's a lot here that Furman was like doing it. You know, if Furman knew that this was going to be canceled like really shortly, I feel like he's actually like pacing it rather properly. So even though, you know, we'll get into it next time we talk, but even though G2 ends on a sort of. Like, you know, there there is like that. Not everything is tied up. I think G2 ends on a pretty like conclusive like note, at least like so. But uh, I don't know. Do you guys have anything else to say before we wrap this one up? I, I think w- along the lines of what you were saying, I would just say that I think that Generation 2 was a, a little ahead of its time, you know, like like and, and, and maybe that speaks to what Tony's saying about maybe some of this was too high concept, you know, like too too heady for people to to grasp or or maybe that combination of the in your face 90s stuff with some of the high concept stuff it's like it just went over people's heads or whatever but i mean i i really do think that this this did have concepts that would play a big role in the future of transformers and and would influence a lot of future stuff whether it's you know beast wars or idw or you know whatever you want to point to like there there's things that this laid the groundwork for and and in some cases did it for the first time so i i too uh, would not sort of sweep this aside or sweep it under the rug or put put my head in the sand and pretend it doesn't exist like i i think this is this is a you know a fairly important piece of the transformers lore and you know maybe maybe to some people they see it as easily dismissible but obviously we're doing a podcast about it so so we don't think that and and i don't think that so that's that would be my final uh thing to say about this so far um, I, I think I would go with, even though uh, we've been nitpicking certain points and certain issues and stuff like that, the the whole run, like the, the 12 issues we get, if you read them in order, like, you know, waiting for each new installment, because it is a very sequential story. I mean, you know, everything leads to the next issue. It's a good read. It's like a good full read. 
So, you know, nitpicking the small things, is, that's just what we do. I mean, we're doing a review of a comic, so we have to point out things that we see incongruous or that we may not have liked. But as a full read, it's a good read. It's a fun series. There's a lot of stuff in there that did get taken and then used in later, like, you know, Transformers stuff. Uh, I mean, Tank Megatron is kind of default Megatron now. We can't have a gun, so... There you go. There's that. And even the toy line, even though we weren't really going to, like like you know, Derek said, we're not really addressing the toy line in full. They've done a lot of G2 repaints and recolors, and I don't think that's just because people wanted the toys. I think that it's a, a symbiosis of, like, fans remember the comic, and they kind of want to relive that time. And some of the people at Hasbro probably like the comic, and they're like, Dude, let's do G1. So they they do like, you know, a whole a wave of like G2 recolors. And then if G2 didn't make an impact, like you said, why would we get a G-axis figure that is comic accurate? Like that that there speaks alone to the fact that like, you know, it was a mass retail release. You know, there's IDW characters who are like, you gotta special order them because they're exclusive. Like G-axis was for everybody to buy. Hell, hell, like way, way before that, like, you know, you had the G2 masterpiece sideswipe, like, you know, like that, that was, and that was, that was kind of always shocking to me because that was a Japanese release. Like they made, you know, the variant of masterpiece sideswipe was G2 sideswipe with the big chonky guns, the like spiky shoulders and the Derek Yanniger grimace face. Like, so like that was, you know, obviously that had an influence even overseas, like some how so but justin any final thoughts on these six issues no all right well like i said this is part one of a two-part series of transformers tuesdays the next time we will talk issues seven through twelve of generation two and uh yeah so uh derek why don't you uh, see us out if you guys have any comments, questions, and or concerns, you can email us at fanholespodcast at gmail.com. We can be streamed. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Play, Spotify, and Amazon Music. And we're on all kinds of social media. You can reach us on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram. And we appreciate all the likes, hearts, shares, and retweets that we receive. Don't you mean re-Xs? Yeah, the re-Xs. <laughs> Extreme! Re- Re-Extremes! Alright, well, this is Mike, then, signing off. This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm just I'm just pretending Twitter has the same paint scheme as my, my G1 Transformers, and I'm just la-la-la-la-la, like, signing off. This is Justin, signing off. This is Tony, and like a vast predatory bird, I'm signing off. It's over. Finished. I saw two stupid clickbait articles today uh, that I have to share. Um, One was uh, at the end of uh, Ahsoka, like episode one, it says to our friend Ray, like it's a tribute to like Ray Stevenson, you know, or Ah. whatever. And uh, I saw a clickbait article. um, 
<laughs> what was that message at the end of Ahsoka? Explain. Like, I was like, what What message? And then it was like, to our friend Ray. And I was like, who, what, why does that need ex- explanation? Like, who could possibly misinterpret that? Explain. Even if you didn't know, yeah, even if you didn't know who he was, like, you think these people have never seen, like, a dedication before? Or? Uh, a lot of these people don't pay attention to who's <clears throat> in what, what shows. They're all a bunch of ignoramuses. Like, I'm sure they thought it was about... Um, fucking ray from the force awakens or some shit you know? like, <laughs> yeah uh-huh i'm sure and, they didn't know shit about and, shit and the other stupid one well the, it wasn't so much stupid as it made me laugh um <clears throat> it said something like you won't believe how how much hugh jackman's sister looks like him and then I just got a me- <laughs> and I got a mental image of like wolverine with like pigtails or something <laughs> like uh-huh. <laughs> I'm the best there is at what I do, and what I do is accessorize. 